Welcome back to the Brass and Unity podcast. And this episode this week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting, Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Also brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent their depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, finding someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, please head over to headsupguys.org. Also brought to you by Jackson Rowe. Vancouver Design Jackson Row clothing caters to a relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses, play suits, and even stuff for men and children. Made up of neutral tones and flowy West Coast vibes, Jackson Row uses only the highest quality materials to ensure that you stay comfortable and looking great. Be sure to check out yours today at jacksonrow.ca and use the code UNITY at checkout. And by Beneath, Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Brass and Unity podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Sharon, and I'm here today with one of my favorite people who have, I have gotten to the pleasure of getting to know over the past, uh, I would say almost, well, two years. I don't really know if COVID counts as one, but it feels like 10. So please, everyone, take a, take a second to go and check out the Veteran Project podcast as well as the Veteran Project with Tim K. That is our guest and uh, welcomed American. So everyone, please welcome Tim K. What's going on, brother? Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a real privilege uh, to be here. We had a lot of fun on my podcast, so I expect this will be much of the same. I know. I I miss I miss our times. I I cannot believe how long it has been since we've actually physically sat down and had a chat. I it feels like it was yesterday, to be honest. But it when you really look at it, oh my god. What? <laughs> when did that go by? Yeah, I know. It is in some ways it feels really close, and in other ways it feels like millennia ago because of everything that's happened since. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I mean, my gosh, from from where we where we were then to where we are now, and what we were talking about, and projects we wanted to do, and it's crazy how everything's been impacted in this in this weird way and we've all had to learn how to cope and move forward and move on and start different things and find ways to fund charities and projects and you know when traditional ways of of doing things stop happening it's crazy to see how some people cope but some people thrive man and it looks like you've been thriving <laughs> yeah i mean i i feel as though the project's still been thriving and it, it's really honestly you know a lot of people say to me man 2020 has been 
the worst year and I almost feel guilty because I don't, it feels like it's been one of my best years as far as just knocking out projects and forming new partnerships and getting to meet some of these incredible veterans. I mean, we're telling the story of the first black Marine recon officer, you know, we've got that project coming out here soon. And I, I just think it's a phenomenal uh, chance to grow even in these adverse times. That's I, I love I love hearing that so much because you take you're the type of of guy who for people who don't know Tim K um this is a fellow vet you know fellow serious heavy hitter here when it comes to being in the veteran community in terms of what he's done what he does for people and his he lives his life a very selfless a selfless way and trying to you know I I'd love I'm gonna let you describe what you do because I think the reason why people love what you do so much is because of the way you tell it. So I'm going to let every, you tell everybody about the veteran project, because I think what you do is admirable, but it also keeps, you know, you're doing something for history and, and keeping these people's stories alive and uh, alive. And I think the number one thing we take away, we should take away from that is appreciation for one another, especially in times like this, you know, we need that community. We need people to be, talking and telling these stories because otherwise they'll fade away and there is nothing like a good you know kick in the pants when you hear a crazy ass story about some really gnarly veteran who has been through hell and back and is yet still been able to be a happy healthy successful person so i'd love you to tell us more about it tim well i'd say just off of what you said first of all that uh, even in these adverse times, I, and especially in these adverse times, probably we can learn so much from these incredible warriors. So, for me, it becomes even more of a, more of a duty to tell these stories and to get out there with these veterans and to really experience the the lives of these men and women. So, uh, the Veterans Project is, you know, I, I've said many times, is a movement to me. It's not just a storytelling um, entity. It's it's about getting out there and not only photographing these men, but telling these stories in a very realistic way, in a way that depicts the manner of the individual and highlights them in a way that is powerful and drawing and, and edgy and also educational. You know, we have so many of these history markers in our books where we're talking about battles and wars and kind of telling it, not, not to hate on History Channel, but in this History Channel way, right, where we're Telling about yeah. the, we're talking about the big battles. We're talking about the big wars. But what happens to the veteran when they return home? What happens in transition? What happens in reintegration? And that's really where my passion lies. It lies in talking about the reintegrative aspects of getting out of military service and then what that becomes after, and coupling that with the combat experience, right? As we did with yours in, in the podcast. Uh, so you know, getting. I, I travel with these veterans. I travel out to these veterans. For those of the, you that don't know about the Veterans Project, I meet these men and women in their lives and act as a fly on the wall in a lot of ways. I go out there to these men and women and I follow them around for a day, two days, sometimes a week. Uh, and I and I show what their lives are like in a black and white photographic format. And that has since spawned in class past six months but over the past six years uh really we've been telling these stories and you know kelsey i think it was one of my first projects uh, i did on a friend of mine my, my best friend carter chick and i know you were very passionate about uh about the suicide epidemic and what's going on with veterans taking their own lives 
but I, my best friend from my unit, I told his story, and I realized so much about the man in that day that I spent with him that I didn't know when I deployed with him to Iraq. Uh, he'd served in the Marine Corps before the Army. He'd done five tours. This was his last one that he went on. And you know what? It was like two. It was about two years later that he took his own life. And I, I have this picture of him with the pill bottles out in front of him that everybody kind of knows when they see the Veterans Project that that's mine. Uh, but but that picture to me is is it's indicative of a growing problem. Uh, that has yet to really be taken care of. And I don't know that we'll ever completely take care of it, but we're working on lessening that number through some of our partnerships now. Uh, but Carter was such an incredible human being, and for him to be the warrior, the titan of the man that he was, and then to see him go through that pain that he went through uh, to the point where he took his own life and left behind two kids and a wife, I think is really indicative of the importance of legacy. It's important to tell these stories because we don't know when these warriors are going to leave us. It's not just the older generation. Uh, you know, World War II veterans are dying at a rate of almost 400 a day. So it, it's more and more. I know that's absolutely mind boggling, that number. It's, it's, well, think about that for a second. Just stop, like, not to interrupt you, but like, stop and think about that for a second. 400 people. That is like a small town high school disappearing every single day in the blink of an eye yeah. and nobody bats an eye at him. Wonder goes, huh, wonder, wonder what's happening with all of these people who are just, ha, 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 off the side of the face of the earth. Like, come on, nobody's questioning like, or wondering what we know about them or why we don't know more about them or how we could have prevented that. Anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I was one of those sirens and, and megaphones screaming out into the void of social media saying, you know, care about our World War II veterans, you know, why don't more people, <laughs> you know, grabbing people by the proverbial throat and angry and mad and just, but realizing that didn't actually fix anything. Uh, that didn't cause people to care. What caused people to care and what people, what really affected people the most heavily was showing them the lives of these veterans in this black and white format and then building these quotes into this massive blog or movement where we're showing people what it's like to be that man, uh, you know, fighting in the Battle of the Bulge or fighting on Iwo Jima or Guadalcanal and uh, Peleliu, showing these people what these lives are like, not only through their combat experiences, but through the rest of their lives. You know, Paul Merriman is a uh, Iwo Jima veteran that I think of often, but after I covered him, he died about a month later. Um, and in that moment, I realized, and, and there's this one image I have of him where he's sitting there in a chair and he's looking out the window, and I still remember this experience and all of its power, infinite power. And I was having him look out the window and I said, Paul, I want you to think about your wife of 70 years, you know, and they, they had been married 70 years before she passed on. And he was looking out the window and I took this photograph of him and I said, I want you to think about your wife and all the powerful experience that, uh, experiences that you had with her. She actually had died about succumbed to Alzheimer's and, and passed away. And so she, she really passed away not knowing him or her kids, you know, it's such a, such a sad, tragic story uh, in that way. But 70 years of beautiful marriage. And he's looking out the window. And I said, Paul, I said, all right, man, you can turn back to me and look. Because I wanted to take a picture of him facing the camera as well. And he said, no, young man, I think I need to stay here for a little while longer with her. 
And Damn. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I, and, and, and I remember the chills that I got in that Houston condominium as I sat there and I looked at him and I just sat there for about five or 10 minutes while he looked out that window. And I thought to myself, if this isn't legacy, I don't know what is. And so that, rather than describing this as like a photographic essay, I'd rather tell you the stories of, of that. And that's the indicative, that, that is the power that's indicative of this. Movement. That's that's what's so special about you though, Tim. Like that's what's so special about like what you described right there, like moving me to tears as usual. You did that last time. I mean, the stories you've told me, the people you've met, the opportunity opportunity that you have had to sit and have these conversations with, with people who really, like, I'm sorry, I'm just taken back by that comment that that just got me that really got me that that whole i'm just gonna sit and stay with her for a little while longer that stuff of movies that stuff of that stuff of dreams you you wish to have a marriage like that at one point in your life you wish to have stories and people that care and love and love you in a way that 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 man loved her and just wanted to sit and have that moment that is so special and just hearing you talk about it though tim and hearing the level of care and the time and the persistence and the patience you have with these people but to just instead of interrupting that moment letting him have that moment and documenting it just for that minute giving him that peace that solace like he could have very well be you know i've been sitting there looking right at her and that could have been the only time he's felt that connection to her and however long and that could never have happened if you didn't ask those questions or broach those topics or made them feel some kind of way which put them in that place that's incredible right well thank you i you know it, it was in the moments too leading up to that where he's talking about her battle with alzheimer's and have him you know having her quite literally try to you know stab him as he walked back into the apartment because she didn't realize who she who he was and fighting the knife out of her hand and having to hold her down and crying while he's you know holding her and saying you know why don't you remember me and and thinking about that pain and then he compared that pain to the beaches of Iwo Jima at 18 years old and saying you know as much as i watched my fellow man on my right and my left be blown to shreds and losing their lives and the battle of the, the torrential downpour of fire and flame and then gunshot and, and shell and to experience all of that and to say still in this moment this was the worst moment of my life of having to handle my wife in this way in this manner to keep her from attacking me um, and, and to know, and he said, really, in the best way, her leaving this planet was one of the best things for my mental health in those five years because for once, because she had forgotten her kids and she had forgotten me. And so losing her in that moment, as sad as it was, she wasn't the same wife that I knew anymore. And that, I mean, that the power of that story is indicative of the power of humanity, right? We're not just talking about veterans. We want to showcase these veterans as individuals and really dispel the whole myth that we are just these robotic cyborgs that go back into the closet and get plugged back in and ready for the next war, right? Uh, we want to showcase the individual, the human element of that, and make civilians understand 
that we are not just war fighters. We are the warrior in the garden when we return back home. Uh, and, and we are human. And showcasing that element of it, I think, is really the most powerful thing in storytelling. It makes people realize that, yes, we indeed do need your help when we get back. Yeah, that that's something, Tim, that, like, I think you, you articulate in a way that makes me wonder how the hell you're not running a state because the way you talk and the way the way you just let no but seriously but that's what i'm saying i'm saying maybe there would be so many there would be so many more solutions to situations because of the the willingness the kindness and the the time and patience you take to really have a conversation with someone and really figure out what the problem is. And I think that in itself is enough for, for anyone to follow and understand and want to work with and want to be around. Like you, you, when you're bringing up these stories, like you said, they're not just photographic essays. They're not just, you know, hearing these people's stories, these, these, these images, these videos, these clips that you do, these are what are going to be left on this earth of this person. And you put it and package it into such a beautiful, not even memorial. I don't even know how to describe it. You, you do it such justice and such service to that member or that person that anybody who you do a story on should be infinitely grateful for the opportunity to have you be the historian that documents their life because the way you describe what you love and how you love it and the way that you describe the passion for what you do, not just for these people, but for the whole, the, the, the community in a whole is so just, it radiates. It radiates in such an incredible way. And I forget what it's like being around you. I mean, I forgot, like you made me emotional in the first 10 minutes of this man. Like I forgot your passion radiates it it vibrates and it is beautiful and it's i just i forgot and i'm so thrilled to to have this reminder right now i am oh I'm, I'm glad to be here you know empathy if we all lived through the lens of empathy wouldn't it just be a better world you would think but then we wouldn't get to do the fun stuff too which you and i both know <laughs> there's a lot of fun stuff to do in the military that yes. is less empathetic than we would like but it's still fun <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. I just mean for my storytelling measure is a continuation of what I'm doing is for me, like empathy, telling the story, you know, in order to do this podcast effectively and what you're doing, you're here to tell the story. You're here to hear people's hearts. And if you're not genuinely doing, doing that, then your journalistic efforts really crash and burn in the worlds of the CNNs and the Fox News is right. We, we get into these circles where we just hearing the person ask the question not to really hear the answer, but to really talk back, right? And that's not what I'm doing here. I want your full biased review of your life. People say sometimes, don't you think that the project would be a little biased because you're just letting these men speak their own truths, these men and women? And I say, oh yeah, it's biased. <laughs> oh, super biased, <laughs> super biased. Nobody's claiming it's not. Mm -mm. 
I never claimed that it was not biased. And I think that's a powerful part <laughs> of what this effort is, is that we want to hear the words from these individuals. And I'm quick to say when somebody dispels something or comments on a post and says, well, I don't see that as the truth, I'm saying, hey, this is their platform right now. Let them have the time. And when you've got yeah, it, let them you live. Make your peace. Mm-hmm. It's not your time. Peace. Like, don't don't interrupt. Leave them alone. Let them have their moment. I mean, they've already done so much for the country. You guys can't give them five five minutes of 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 them. Let them just have that. Yeah. Nobody needs to comment yes. if it's negative. Keep your shit to yourself. Let it happen. I'm serious. I just I don't I don't understand that. I mean, I'll see people commenting on on stuff uh, about vets all the time and and it's crazy because you just want to you want to like shake the computer and go listen we're not asking for a lot just let this person have their moment let them have what they need and and from a veteran standpoint we we stop eating our own you know like let's just be pumped for each other let's just be stoked that someone that is had something horrible happen to them has been able to thrive outside of that. Like, let's just be happy for one another. Not hard to do. Yeah, yeah but it, it seems hard to do in a lot of ways because our social media has become this weird vacuum where people feel confident about speaking their mind. And I think it's that, you know, layer of not being able to be punched in the face that really ruins it for us in a lot oh, of ways. I know. You know, like, like I think a lot of the indications <laughs> were... A lot of the times where that might have happened and been effective now over social media, people are just allowed to leave their mean comments and, you know, move on about their day. But I think about this with veterans often in that when we eat our own, I mean, you're really showing civilians the worst side of yourself. And then that makes them think about us and go like, wow, I used to be a hero to me, but you're acting very human right now. Yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to have yeah, don't, you need to always have, I don't care what level of military you were. I don't care if you, well, I can't believe I'm going to say this because I feel like I'm going to get kicked in the face from this. I don't care if you were Air Force or Navy. Um, I will still respect you on a level that I'll not respect anybody else. I'm not in trouble. No. Why? No Navy SEALs will come on my podcast. So what am I supposed to say? I'm not as connected as you, my friend. I'm Canadian and... They're too busy doing their hair right now. <laughs> you let them do their hair and sell their books and you and I will sit over. No, I would kill to have a Navy SEAL on my podcast. But here's the problem. I'm Canadian. I think they think that nobody listens to me and that uh, um, they they would struggle with maybe like if I threw like sorry out, they would kind of ugh, like they can't. It's weird for them. They get all uncomfortable. You know what they're like? They're all jumpy and shit when they don't recognize their environment. It's strange for me because with the project, it's like I've had the least they're they're the least amount of covered uh, guys that I've had as a part of this work. And I, I, I'm always like, but you guys are the first ones to want the book deal. Shouldn't you want to be a part of this? <laughs> like snap onto the podcast. You guys are making millions. Like, I mean, we all can be as successful as you, but we can sure try. But here's the thing. We, you know, there's like the Navy SEALs, there's the SAS, there's all those guys. And I was lucky enough to book uh, an SAS guy. So I've got somebody cool coming on that I'm actually, I want you to cover him, Tim. You need to cover this guy. And so, you know, he's he's a British, he's another Brit guy that, um, that you haven't spoken with. But, you know, it comes back to this community and like it, it being such widespread. And I think um, there's levels for the listeners who who 
aren't uh, familiar there's levels of military and levels of shit talking that comes with the level that you are at and it's always us that are shit talking to special forces because we all wish we could be them we all wish that we can do 622 chin-ups and then run for 90 miles and then have perfect flowing flocks of hair (laughs) being soaking wet from the neck down like it didn't even matter but we can't and we're jealous and I have no shame in saying I wish I could be as cool as you but what I do not like is you telling me I'm not cool enough for you to come on my podcast so we we need to fix that Tim I'm not I wear a hat so I can fit in with you Tim that's how cool I think I am I need to be more Texas. I'm trying to appeal to your audience more, Tim. Does it work? It does. You are truly Texan right now, for sure, with the hat. I, I like it. I just... My next episode with you, I'm going to do with a full accent. I'm going to I'm gonna practice. No, I'm going to practice. Because by then, I will have chatted with some more Texans. And I feel like some of it will start to rub off. And then we'll come back to it. And then people will just think it's a completely different podcast. Like, oh, my God, she hired somebody from Texas. Or like Tim moved up to Texas from Texas. It'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. It'll be not weird at all. Speaking of not weird at all, um, can we please talk about the fact that you, my dear, are not in a single state for more than like a week at any time. And I can't get a hold of you. I can't find a location. You're such a big deal now that I have to go through other people you're out there hanging out with the best of the best and just forgetting your fellow grunts. <laughs> well, see, I just want to vicariously live through these SF guys. Though You talk about how cool they are. I can't be them, so I choose to befriend them, like, nonstop. So people are always saying, like, dude, it seems like all your best friends are Green Berets now. And I'm like, yeah, that's my lifelong dream. That's why I started this whole project, just so I could be friends with Green Berets. Like, that was a whole goal of the entirety of this work. <laughs> it's like, forget forget any of the history. The history is whatever. The goal is to talk to the people that have done the most murdering in the coolest way. Exactly. That's, that's just it. That's what I'm trying to work towards. So, yeah, I mean, for me, like, the traveling component of this work is very attractive. I mean, I remember very realistically, you know, just, pray, you know, I, I am a Christian, of course, and I, I prayed very heavily uh, to the Lord about, you know, I, I just said, I just want whatever I do in my life with this work, I really just want to be able to travel. And the coolest thing is, like, six years later, now I'm traveling more than almost anybody I know. So for me to be able to get on the road and tell these stories, whether it be, you know, in Nevada or New York or England or wherever I go— the beautiful ability of this work to really work across all party lines and speak to veterans of the of the British effort and speak to veterans of, you know, the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets and, you know, SAS and all those guys that have, you know, have covered a French resistance fighter from World War II uh, living in Florida. So for my ability to, for me to be able to go out and travel and to be able to cover these people where they're at has been a hugely effective part of this. And the coolest thing is, Kelsey, is like coming into this room with these powerful actors, right? These individuals who've done these incredible things and then being able to sit with them in the first five minutes and feeling like I'm a brother, feeling like I've known this person my whole life. And so it's really funny because people often ask me about the technique and say, you know, when do you first start taking photos of these guys? And I say, sometimes, you know, if the project's long enough, sometimes it's 
not for the entire first day, you know, I, I just spend yeah. time talking with them and getting to know them. I mean, you and I, you know, we sat and talked for probably a couple hours before we actually started the podcast, right? So Was it that long? Is what? Was, was it that, that long, long before, before we, started? we started? I think it was. We waited, we waited for a little while. I mean, for me, it's, it's like the pre-talk for remember. me is really the powerful part of that, you know, is in getting to know that person on a, on a physical level, being with them in that space and being able to speak with them before we actually start the interview and the questions, because you have to build some rapport there, you know, and building that over the mm -hmm. phone is a little hard. So physical space with them is being the fly on the wall and getting to take in their life. You know, sometimes when I cover a guy like Tim Kennedy, you know, I'm kind of thrust into that sphere where I have to quickly start photographing because the time is limited and I have to do that. But, you know, Tim's so good in front of the camera that I don't really have to, you know, work that hard to get to know the, the process or what I'm going to be doing that day. His life is just, you know, flying around in helicopters and shooting guns and working out. And so everything is a photography <laughs> yeah. moment. Everything's a photography yeah. moment. You're like, uh, that's the dream, dream client. client. Yes, yes. But, but like getting to photograph, um, you know, some of these other veterans who don't have these necessarily high profile lives or whatever you call it, it's getting into that space and getting to know them a little bit, especially with the World War II and Vietnam veterans. It's sitting with them for multiple hours and just speaking to them about their lives now as they are finding out how they are inside, finding out how they're doing and really showing care. And that empathy piece, I'll speak it again and again and again, but really that's the biggest part of this journalistic endeavor is I don't even like the term journalism now because it sounds so dirty with all that you see in the world now. But You work for Fox. Fox. Are you working, you working for, Fox, for Fox, Tim? Tim? <laughs> no. What did I tell no. you about working for Fox? No, no, I could never do that job, no. Um, but the ability for to sit in that space with them is really powerful. And so traveling is just a natural part of this. And uh, I'm very thankful for sponsors that have taken care of me on the road. Uh, but it is tough. I mean, it, it is a very... Uh, you know, I funded this project myself for the past six years, and luckily I've had some cool key partners, but man, it has been a tough ride, and, and people see the glamorous side of it, and you know, oh man, you're flying around downtown Austin in a helicopter with Tim Kennedy, how hard can that be? Or you're hanging out with Rudy Reyes on a beach. Uh, you know, where he's, we're down to his skivvies, you know, <laughs> like how hard, is your, <laughs> how hard is your life really, you know, but it's, it's, it honestly, it is tough and that there is a whole business side and a business aspect to this work, yeah. uh, which before I really didn't realize what it was. I, I, I said to people all the time, I'm a terrible businessman. I don't know how to handle it. So figuring that side of it out has been difficult, but man, no better job, no better job on earth. I don't think, I think I have the coolest job on the planet and anybody can fight me on that. But for me, it's the best for what I do. It's my favorite thing I could possibly be doing. Well, see, I might, I would have fought you on that temporarily because I think what I'm doing is cool. But I then also met you in person. Yeah, but but then I also met you and I realized really early on that you're like six foot four or something ridiculous and I'm not. And when we took a picture together, which I will show after this podcast, I look like a toy doll standing next to santa because i am that small like it's ridiculous so i will say i would fight you on that but arguably i would lose just based on size and physics alone although i felt like if i could get 
some time around the other Tim Kennedy, like you got time around. He could teach me a thing or two, and then maybe I'll come back to you and fight you about it later. But, but I, I actually, I actually rolled with him, and I realized I indeed do what? not know how to fight. So <laughs> I thought I knew how to fight decently, um, and then I remember. So you know, it was the end of one of my projects, and he was one of my pretty early on projects. I think he was like number eight on the list, uh, yeah. but. They said, hey, you know, Tim was like, do you want to, you know, because I'd been photographing him at his uh, jiu-jitsu gym, uh, Gracie out, Gracie Humada out in Austin. And um, as I as I grabbed and I went to shoot for his front leg and I grabbed his leg and he laughed at me. Uh, and, <laughs> and I realized really quickly then yes. I was in a lot of trouble. Uh, when I grabbed that front leg, it felt like grabbing uh, one of those telephone poles, you know, <laughs> concrete like pillar. I'm going to try to up. Yes. Like I was going to try to uproot that out of the ground. And I realized really quickly. And then he quickly got me into a rear naked choke. I don't even know how it happened. Did you fall asleep real quick? Did you go to sleep? Did I what? Did, I what? Did you go Did to, you sleep go to sleep, sleep real quick? I went to sleep real quick. Yeah, I tapped. I tapped pretty soon because I realized with that force that he had of the grizzly bear uh, grabbing my neck, I realized I was going to I would die if I didn't tap. So, yes, I tapped. I will honest all honesty come down to Austin when this COVID is over, pay you physical money to watch you roll with Tim Kennedy and get to witness that in person, please. I mean, it's a very short, it's a very short viewing period, probably about 30 seconds. So I feel like it would be worth the flight until I die eventually. I don't want you to roll until you die. I just want you to roll until you pass out one or two times so I can witness it, photograph it for myself and keep it for my laugh bank because I think that's hilarious. Video and I watch it every once in a while when I need a good laugh. It's, it's definitely comedic. You know, there's something about uh, hanging out with um, hanging out with the veteran community on its own and what that effect does for people and how it affects um, affects you. And I, I kind of want to I want to ask you a few questions about that personally, because I know the projects you work on and the people that you talk to are there. It's an intense conversation. And I'll be honest with you. When we started this this podcast, I told the team I'd be working with over here, these guys, that there's going to be some conversations, some discussions, some things said that might seem completely offside to you, completely complete like we you and I when we weren't recording some of the stuff that we we said are not things we could get away with saying and it's not that we were saying them because we were trying to be some type of way or we're these horrible people or that we hate someone or some type but we have uh, an opinion about certain things that others who have never been in combat, who have never been shot at, who have never seen their friends blown up into pieces, who have never seen somebody stomped to death. Like you, they have never seen what we have seen. They've never, they've never been in the position that they should ever have to, they've, they've never been there. And, and at the end of the day, what I'm trying to get at is we are, all good people trying to do something positive and all trying to better ourselves after some of these things we've seen. But, but that experience comes with some scarification to the brain that I don't know that can be fully removed. And I have no shame in saying that because I think we have views of people that we can always change and better, excuse me, but our experiences still happened and 
some you can't you can you can't forget so Absolutely. so i you know i i made everybody very aware of that because you'd never want people perceiving you um negatively in that light of of feeling a certain type of way against a certain type of person um because you'll get this as soon as you start talking about it you get this perception that you're a racist or a prejudiced person or a um well for lack of a better word you know, a racist and i I've been called that before and when I first got home you and I talked about it like I was there was a lot of things that happened and um, I'm not proud of them and I've worked really hard to be a better person Um, but I would I would definitely say that talking to other vets who have had incredibly intense stories does have an effect on you Um, and I'm curious to know how that effect has been on you because the people you talk to are really, really intense? That's a great question, and I don't know that I've ever really been asked that in a podcast format, so kudos to you for a plus one on that uh, question. Yeah. Uh, That's a good one. Are you trying to take over my project or what? I'm not trying to take over your project. I'm trying to show you that we can co-host shit together because mama got the chops, baby. (laughs) You definitely have the chops. Uh, Yeah, for me, look, it is. It really, it really does take a toll. Uh, and I've noticed that more and more in what I do, uh, from, you know, from starting the veterans project, obviously, and covering these older warriors, the world war two generation, the Vietnam generation. Look, I hit some pretty deep holes. I get pretty depressed from time to time. I counseling is a huge part of what I need as a part of my daily life. So it's important for me to stick close to my friends and stay close to my and constantly, you know, keeping up with people in a way where they know how I'm doing in my mental health. So, uh, yes, it's very important when you're taking on all these secondary burdens, right? We talk about secondhand smoke, and in a way, that's what this is, right? We're taking on these secondary burdens, and that we're hearing these stories constantly about losing legs and losing arms and watching your friend turn into pink mist on the right and the left of you and seeing these incredibly horrible uh, actions in battle and dealing with, you know, this latest project that I've done, he talked about coming to a village where all in Vietnam, where all the women had been brutally raped and tortured and put on crosses and hung up to dry. And had their, you know, stomachs cut open and had their entrails leaking out of their stomach. And, you know, and then if having the feeling that they needed to hunt these people down and then the brutal action of actually hunting them down. And the example of this Marine Corps officer I'm telling you about, uh, James Capers, uh, in his, you know, Vietnam tour, sometimes spending three, four days hunting these people down in the jungles of Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. And, uh, you know, it's just hearing these stories again and again and again and seeing the trials and the tribulations that they're living with through this. You know, James talked about losing his wife after this and watching his special needs son die, uh, you know, choked to death and just all these yeah. things that he experienced. You know, it's not just the combat stories. It's also the stories yeah. after battle and it's also the reintegrative, reintegrative stories. So, For me, yes, the effect of that mental state that that veteran is going through and then taking on the burdens of my brothers and sisters has been extremely profound. And then with the caregiver project now, you know, I'm telling these stories of Gold Star families. So all I'm hearing is, 
in those stories, all I'm hearing is tragedy again and again and again. And the fact that there is no real redemption for that person in that on this earth, in that they're not going to ever get that person back. So for me, yes, it, the, the weight of that. And I knew that I would be taking on a lot more of a mental burden when I did the caregiver project, but I, I did willingly take it on. So I've got to understand that the effects of that are real, but it's also what I asked for in, that, in doing these stories. Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing, Tim. It's one thing to ask for something. Um, sorry, it's one thing to ask for something when you when you know exactly what you're getting. Um, I would say you knew a portion of what you were going to get because you had done these stories before. But I also think that you didn't fully know how this was going to affect you or you maybe would have taken a better precaution potentially uh, from your mental health standpoint, maybe more breaks in between um, stories or more breaks in between um, events or things like that, because I do worry about you and I do know um, that you do suffer with mental health like like a lot of us do and I group myself in that and um, there's no shame in that. I'm very, very open about that. Um, you, you're very open about that and I'm grateful to have people like you in um, my life that are open about that who make people like us feel comfortable saying hey it's a down day I'm not getting out of bed suicides on my mind and like you can have that conversation and it not be a judged oh my god this person's suicidal what do we all oh, this panic what are we gonna do and it's like no it, that's not what I'm asking of you I'm not saying I'm suicidal I'm saying I'm struggling with something this is the thoughts creeping in because of x y and z and you're not going to judge me. You don't have to explain your story 900 times. But what I do know is that you've spoken with some incredible people who have done some of the world's most, the war stories that are out there are some of these people's war stories. And they're turned into these incredible intense movies. And you wonder why these movies are so intense and so and so crazy and just maddening and, and, and explosions and blood and gore. But you totally forget a lot of these come from these vets. And these vets happen to be people you get to talk to. So me personally, I can only imagine the feeling uh, I would get being in the position that you are uh, I don't know that I could handle it. I don't know that I could uh, fully take that on. I know that you have taken that on. And um, I want to know, what are you doing? What are you doing to, to help yourself? What are you working on to keep yourself in check here? Because I think it's important for people yeah. to know. <laughs> well, I, uh, from my personal side, I, it's been obviously, as a Christian, it's very important for me to stay in prayer. Um, it's very important for me to be in my Bible. It's very important for me to be in the gym. Just my time with God is very important. Um, being in church um, and, and realizing mental health is just something that is always ebbing and flowing, right? It's not always, you're not going to be happy every day. And and if you were happy no. every day, then you probably wouldn't be happy because you would just well, be Well, like, then you'd be a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> or a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. One of the two. Um, so people, yeah. it's like people that live in California, right? When you go out to another <laughs> state and you're like, gosh, your weather is so perfect all the time. And they're like, huh? What? They're like, I wish I had seasons, man. And you're like, why do you want seasons? Your weather is always perfect. Like a Texan goes like, 
This is the one thing I really love about California is your weather. Like your weather is yeah. fantastic, you know? So it's, it's like consistent. That. It's like you don't even realize if you just lived in that state of perpetual happiness all the time, I think adversity has a real place. So, but recognizing that some of that adversity is good and some of that adversity is bad. So for me, that's important, obviously, as I mentioned with prayer, but also being in the gym and staying physically active and staying physically healthy, eating right. Things like that all add up to what I'm doing. Staying and reading books that aren't necessarily always or uh, yes. on the, sometimes watching Netflix. You know, I love I'm a big movie buff, obviously. I love stories. Ah. So I love I love watching movies and a lot of scary movies. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's good for everybody's mental health, but for me it is. So, uh, you know, I, I think those things are very good for me mentally in mental health. But as you've seen, you know, I'm, we're now partnering with this uh, mental health organization called Heart Support. Yes. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I don't want to work too much off of myself in that, but no, I really please. wanted to take awareness and turn it into action, right? Because there are so many of these efforts out there to promote awareness, 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 awareness. And, and me and my buddy Ben Sledge from Heart Support, uh, this is an organization started by the lead singer of this band called August Burns Red. And if you're in the veteran community, you probably know August Burns Red. They're a big metal band. Um, and My God, not to interrupt, but I've been listening to them for like, yeah. like a minute now. Like they've been around. Sorry, they've been around. Yeah. So, so now we're trying to bridge the gap through mental health because they're already talking to other people people they're not so much in the veteran world so you they're using the veterans project as a gateway to get to veterans and to really Good. speak to these veterans about mental health so coming up on november 11th on veterans day we're gonna have a big twitch marathon where we have our veterans coalition of rudy reyes and nate boyer and Knessa johnson and uh don McAllister and um micah fink from heroes and horses and these other veterans, these other powerful voices in our veteran community, two lamb from Ronin Tactics. And we're gonna have them on this live stream speaking about mental health. And as a result of that, we're gonna raise money for a new platform that we're gonna have, which is going to actually allow veterans to receive mental health care through the Veterans Project website. So to us, it's all about taking awareness and turning that into action. Um, you know, for me, I thought a long time that this would just be an awareness project and I would just be telling stories and stories can always help, of course, but actually take that and be able to impact mental health is really a dream come true for me in every sense of the, in every sense of the word. I'm so happy to hear that because, you know, you, you do so much great work and to finally see somebody partnering with the veteran project that can finally do it some justice and really help you take your project on to the next level, bring it out to the rest of the world. Because I don't know if you remember, but, you know, uh, we had this discussion previously in Texas. If everybody haven't heard, I, I did a prod, um, I did a podcast with Tim on the Veterans Project podcast uh, a while back when I went down to Texas and I got the opportunity to sit with Tim and Chad and we chatted about some stuff. And one of the things that uh, I was I was irritated about at the time was I'm, I was really kind of over this. Uh, we were having a lot of school shootings. We were having a lot of um, we were seeing a lot of social media posturing and it really started to get to me. And I think I mentioned it to you. It was kind of like, uh, you know, the, the you know, your thoughts and prayers are fantastic. 
That's do you remember? Is this ringing a bell now? Yeah, they're fantastic. Your thoughts and prayers. I get it. That's good. Like good for you. Get shows likes. Do you. You do you. But they're doing absolutely nothing for nobody. Like sorry but the likes on your facebook aren't helping shit the veteran population suicide rate is still going up the the regular civilian population suicide rate is going up our homelessness has gone up like tenfold it is disgusting what's happened with our veteran community our first responders as well as anybody else during this covid who with a mental health disorder who's being left to their own devices while having to be forcefully socially isolated it is incredibly detrimental and i'm so thrilled to see for once somebody taking action with you somebody putting their money where their mouth is and and stepping up and creating a platform that finally is going to be acknowledged the way it should and i think tim that you may not have started it for that reason and like not to bring it back to but like i may not have started my business for that reason but look at where we are now there's a, you know, there's a reason for everything. There's timing for everything. The, everything will line up the way it's supposed to if you just let it happen. But you have to do the work. Do you know what I mean? Let it happen in the sense don't push back. Don't yeah, don't yeah. fight it. Put some effort in, you know, but but try not to be that person who's just sitting there screaming on Facebook. It's not going to work. Go out and do something about it. I'm tired of your your rants on Twitter. Beat it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Your vision board uh, can only accomplish so much. Right? <laughs> like, like, like. But that's what I mean. Actual... Yeah. <laughs> Listen, your vision board is great, but you need to start journaling and you need to start scrapbooking, and then if you really want it to happen, you really need to start a podcast. <laughs> yes. <absolutely. laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I could even look at I. I I and myself did not even feel effective in what I was doing with storytelling. I felt like I was selling myself short in some ways in that I really got so many messages from people saying, you know, this project, this podcast has been so important for me. What I'm doing is so important. Uh, you know, I was in a really hard time in my life and I really needed to, you know, I, re I really needed something to change big time. And so mm -hmm. for me, like knowing that that needed to happen and knowing that the storytelling aspect of this was so important. It wasn't just that, right? I needed to create some help in mental health as well. And there needed to be some changes there. So to have an opportunity to come alongside someone and to be able to actually affect and impact change has been huge to this work. This work. That's and you know what? It's not just huge to this work, it's huge to the the veteran community and I think it's it's huge to the world in a whole right now in a big way because of the circumstance we all find ourselves in and sitting at home and and being locked away for the most part for a long time I know you guys down in Texas didn't have quite the same sort of lockdown as we did up here but I mean you know it affects people and having a positive uh, incredibly well done articulate story to listen to can often take you out of your own thoughts and your own bad environment just for a minute even for a minute even for a half an hour and listening to your stories does that and it that's why it's such a your podcast is such a big part of a lot of people's lives because they wait for the next episode to come out because they they uh they could be walking they could be running they could be you know working they could be doing anything but they can be listening to these inspiring stories and these incredible 
these the snapshots in, in history and time and not only learn something useful, but maybe for once learn about something outside of themselves or whatever's going on in the celebrity world or whatever is going on in the mainstream media. Let's learn about something outside of ourselves for once and see if we can, you know, and share some positivity in that way. And I'm, you know, so I'm grateful for that. Um, I will just pretend that my invite on that panel was lost in the mail, but um, let's, <laughs> let's, we'll have that discussion later. Um, but look, I want to, you know, anything, like I said, um, during COVID, we all don't have a, we might not all have a lot of money to, to donate, but we can always help out in any other way that we can. So I'm so thrilled to hear about your, um, your new, your new partnership. And I'm, I'm just glad, I'm just really glad that somebody actually, you know, really took you up on it because you've got some incredible ideas. Um, I do want to talk. You, You're welcome, dear. I do want to talk to you about you, Mr. Mr. Timothy, because I think here's the thing. People interview you all the time and ask you about the veteran podcast and the project and what you're doing and the caregiver project. And um, we just popped the caregiver project back up on the Brats and Unity page. So and uh, as one of the new resources. So we're really happy about that and a new charity to drive to. So we got that up and running. Um Ooh, is right. So I, I mix. Yes. No, we're t we, we're thinking of you, even when you think we're not thinking of you, because you're hanging out with your two cool uh, special forces guys. Um, they listen. I'm never gonna let it go until I have one on this podcast. I am going to bitch and whine until somebody thinks I'm cool enough to talk to Tim. So anyway, my point. Well, we talked about this before. There's different definitions of cool and uh I, we don't know quite exactly which one i am i'm right. gonna tell all my friends how cool you are and oh are you you can you tell me about can you tell your friends can you tell me can you can you tell your friends at school how cool i am tim please tim yes. if i could be as cool yes. as you one day and just grow six feet i would be so successful so tell me tell me i want to know about you i want to know your journey because i think you always get asked like I said about the project and the podcast and I think I think people don't ever ask you about you and I think you my dear I got a very brief overview uh about what you've done uh overseas and what your tours you know tour was like and what you've done but I want to know more I want to know I want to know what happened I want to know what brought you to this besides just wanting to know the history I want to know about your service so hit me with it uh, yeah of course um so 2000 Five came up and uh, I came to my parents. It was probably about 2004, actually. I came to my parents and kind of the usual sob story, I guess. Um, and I said to my parents, I said, hey, uh, I'm about to start a college baseball career. Uh, where's the, uh, where's the, you know, because obviously baseball scholarships are not that great, so they're not going to pay for all of your college. So I was kind of curious. I came to my dad and I said, dad, where's the, where's the college fund at? And uh, my dad was like, gave me a look like I just asked him uh, when the aliens were coming in onto planet Earth. Uh, and he was like, a college fund? He's like, I love that you just outright asked him, hey, dad, where's my college fund? Like, no, like, <laughs> like, like, as if he were asking for like a, a bag of Cheetos. Hey, dad, can you just tell me where my college fund is real quick? 
<laughs> well, it's, it's funny because coming from a lower middle class household, you think I would have figured out real quick that there was no college fund uh, to be had, but <laughs> I did not figure That's that right. out. So I asked my dad, I said, uh, I said that, and he kind of gave me the stare like, and then I remember him saying, you got two options here. You can either accrue a bunch of loans, which, hey, that's fine. Yeah. That works that's for some fine. people. Um, he said, or you can do the honorable thing. And as soon as he said the H word, I was like, oh. oh it's coming. It's coming. I, know I, know I know what that means. Yeah, I know what that means. Yeah. And my dad had served in the Air Force for 10 years. Uh, so I knew that he knew what service was. And listen, I grew up in Military City, USA, officially trademarked. San Antonio is Military City, USA. So. I knew what my friends had done. A lot of my friends had signed up to serve, but I never saw myself as that. I always thought of military people as squares. I thought they live by a set of rules. Really? They cut their hair high and tight. I don't want to be any part of that. I'm an artist. I'm an athlete. I don't want to be in the military. I never saw myself as in the being, serving in the military. So then, was I it because of your beard? Was it because what? Was it because of the beard? Because you can grow, you can such, grow a such a sweet beard. beard? Oh, yeah. you knew what that meant. And then I never went special forces, so my beard had no power whatsoever. You could have just think, but just think about that for two seconds. The amount of power, if you would have made it through as an FSF guy, that beard on its own would have landed you so many chicks. No, I know it would have. And then if I had started this project after that and then been a green, holy shit, you would have had a history series. You would have had a Netflix special. Wait, you would have had two books and a table book. You would have had a chef set of knives made by Half Face Blades. And they would have like your logo etched into them as part of the community. Like, I feel like that could have taken... Half Face Blades because I love Andy so much. He's such a good... I don't know. Okay. Okay. Can I tell you? Can I interrupt your brief awesomeness story to... to... Okay. okay. I'm doing it. I'm sorry, it's so rude of me. This is me learning how to be a good enough host one day to hopefully have a special forces guy on, right? So anyway, listen, these knives, my husband goes to me, Brady, right? He goes, I want to get you a Christmas present one year. This is a couple years ago. Don't know what you want. I know you like stabby, stabby things. And I was like, stabby, stabby makes me really happy. But there is this guy I follow, like a fucking stalker, on instagram and i'm obsessed with his knives and then i got like really into that forged and fire show you ever seen that mm -hmm. okay so that's in the states too okay i didn't know if that was just okay no it makes sense that will willis guy yeah. i just will willis i just the name it just gets me sorry off track yeah 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 super tight pants on the show though they're so tight like 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 uh what do they call the what's that uh tight leather pants like i feel like he should have his own pair of pants yeah. like they're like so they're tight is that what you call sorry nut huggers yeah okay nut huggers he wears the tightest nut huggers on network television as a special forces man as i've ever seen i can't picture him being able to kick his leg up at all and i feel like you should be able to just to do that am i wrong like i just i can just picture him like hosting the show and then going hold on oh i almost ripped my pants 
allows him to persevere through the tightness of his pants. Dear God, you have an answer. I knew that was going to be the answer. They get some type of superhero power, or do they get a shot in the ass when they, as soon as they make it through, they get the trident to the chest and the shot in the ass, and they get this special, like, uh, what do you call it, Captain America serum bullshit that all of a sudden you turn into, um, I can't even believe I don't even remember Cap Captain America's name. What is his name, that actor? Help me here. Help me here. Uh, uh, um, I was going to say Bradley Cooper, and that's not it. It's not Bradley Cooper. We're your Bradley podcast Cooper. research guys right now, podcast men. They're not researchers. They're Listen, these guys are here to make you sound good, look good, and make me look like I'm not like a tired mom. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. <laughs> Bam. Coleman for the win. Yeah, see, your podcast guys are on it. I apologize, podcast dudes. You did an awesome job there. Thank you for the research. These guys know what's up. This is There's a reason why they're in this room. And it's not, well, number one, it's so I don't forget to actually hit record. And number two, it's to make sure that the sound shows up somewhat listenable so that it's not a complete waste of their time and our money and everything else involved. So, I'm so glad so, they do that though because I don't have that on mine. If I screw up, I just have to Google it in the middle of me podcasting and then I look like a complete idiot. So <laughs> you don't look like an idiot. You've never looked like an idiot. And if it makes you feel any better, these guys <laughs> these guys, you don't want guys like this because these guys are so good and so expensive that you, you don't want this. You want to be able to do it on your own. That's how smart and innovative and creative you are, though, Tim. You're good at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Josh knows what's up. If I hired those guys, I would be rolling around on in one of those Fred Flintstone cars and pedaling through the, through the floor of my car. No, you wouldn't, because I would supply you with a vehicle, because I think you're, you, you're, your shit's about to pop off. I think you have... I've told you that from day one. I think what you're doing and why you're doing it and that itself and why you're doing it is the reason it's going to be successful because you're doing it for the right reasons and the world agrees. But I'm going to get back to my story here. Tell me your story. I want to know. About the tight pants. No, it wasn't the tight pants. What were we chatting about? Okay, Forged in Fire, pretty sweet. Half Fates Blades posted this photo after I watched an episode once um, and it was this incredible... <laughs> it was an incredible kitchen chopping knife and it was Damascus and it had like a scale handle that I want to say was carbon fiber but the Damascus was so beautiful and I told my husband I said that's what I want and he's like okay yeah. so then he quietly reached out to them and then found out how much they were and we're like we're gonna wait on that and so I was like <laughs> So I was like, damn it. So now my, my dream is eventually to become, slowly make myself become friends with everyone so I can afford their products and cool knives. <laughs> Just one day to have a cool set of knives. Was it Andy's knives? Andy's knives? Yes, he's dope. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of back to what I uh, was talking about, about you being super incredible um, and your, you know, your project being super incredible and all your friends being like too cool for school um, for me. But, uh, you know, one day I, I hope that um, that we 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 out here in, in Canada can help uh, can help, you know, with the project more and, 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 and be able to help you guys spread your message even more, um, not just in Canada, but uh but you know around the world and um i think i think you uh i think you you guys have some really incredible initiatives um 
in terms of uh, the community. And so I want to get back to kind of chatting um, about your your story and why you are the way you are and what made you get into what you're getting into. So your dad said, your dad said, listen, son, I'm gonna beat your ass. Join the military or what? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's exactly what happened. So, um, yeah, he said that. And I, I realized then I was 17 years old. Um, and at 17 years old, I realized that that was the only choice for me was really, I, I just thought about it. And, you know, of course, September 11th has a prime spot. who fought in these wars and these global war and the global war on terror. So for me, that was a, that had a massive impact, of course, at 17 years old. But when um, when I decided to join, I went to all the different recruiters, and it was like the Air Force and the Army. The Marine Corps wasn't really a thought because I grew up in San Antonio, and nobody really knows about the Marines. Like everybody says, "Oh, didn't you ever want to be a Marine?" And I'm like, "Not really, man." Like that's such a rare answer, I think. But it wasn't like. Uh, I, you know, be, beat up my teacher with a bike lock or something. So I had to join the <laughs> army, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> I've legit heard a story like that. Um, so, you know, I believe like, it. the Marine Corps is pretty picky about who they let in. And it wasn't that. I just really didn't know much about the Marine Corps. I'd studied a lot of military history, but most of it was army. So the guys that I looked up to were like Audie Murphy and, you know, the incredible warriors like that. So for me, the army was like the tough branch, you know, and, and when I heard army, um, I just thought, Oh gosh, not only didn't, I didn't even want to join the military. Now I'm thinking about the army and they offered the best benefits too. So I was like, of course they did. It's like, it's, it's a short term sacrifice and some pain to get what I want, which is eventually a master's degree. So for me, you know, nobody in my family had really gone through any higher education. So I really thought that was something I really wanted to do. And on top of that, play baseball in college. So in order for me to have that opportunity, you know, I joined the Texas Army National Guard so that I could serve while I was going to college. How that works in America is you serve one week in a month and uh, two weeks out of the year, you know, you go to PMT, which is, you know, prior mobilization training and you do your mandatory service. And within that, you know, I'm, I made it through. I went to Fort Knox when I was 17 years old. I was the youngest guy in my whole company. And people were like, dude, why aren't you partying? You're 17. It's 2005. The surge is on in Iraq. You're going to die. <laughs> you, you, you will die when you get there. So party now. Yeah, party right now. You didn't have to join. You volunteered to go to college. So, you know, I'm in basic training and basic training was very, very tough. Uh, I was in, you know, I was in an all male basic and, you know, in Fort Knox. And, you know, I'm being screamed at with words I've never heard in my life or just (laughs) screamed in different ways. I've never heard those words used before. Um, And, you know, I'm realizing to myself, this ain't no game. This no. is serious. So, you know, at 17 play. years old, I'm turning into a man in a lot of ways. And I, and I had a pretty tough upbringing. You know, my dad was tough on me. My mom was pretty tough on me. They were very strict, but not like this. I mean, this was a whole nother level of heaviness. You got to realize these drill sergeants were coming back from their first tours of Iraq and Afghanistan. So they had seen a lot overseas wanted to prepare us for the inevitability of watching our friends, you know, killed or maimed in combat. So 2005, we're wearing the last iteration of BDUs before we switch over to that 
terrible ACU Army Combat uniform, uh, but we're we're having to to polish and brush our black boots and doing all these little detailed things that are just very indicative of a life of hardship. And I'm realizing very quickly that you know I remember my dad saying you know to me, if you're not prepared to bleed out in a ditch and die, then don't sign up because I don't want you to dishonor our name. Whoa, that's an intense statement to say to your child. Wow. To anybody, let alone your your child. I'm sorry, that's a lot, man. That's heavy. When I was going to Iraq, I still remember my dad. uh, He was in the airport with me and my mom. My mom's hugging me and she's like sobbing and crying and like, oh, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I start crying because my mom's crying and because it just causes inevitable tears when I'm like, it's okay to cry, Tim. It's okay to admit you cry, even if your mom doesn't cry. Crying is cathartic and healthy, Tim. Totally, totally. Uh, but I grew up in a in a family where, with a dad that never cried. So yeah. I'm crying, and then I see my dad, and my dad's like over my mom's shoulder, and he like he like sticks his hand out to shake it, and he's like, the, he's like, don't get yourself hurt over there. I'm gonna go start the car. It's cold. <laughs> Like the hardest MF ever. Just like, I can't show too much emotion because it'll all come out. So just, it's cold. I gotta go. And I bet you he probably weeped. You know what's funny is that was my dad's way of showing his love to me by giving yeah. me a kick in the ass and showing me that, you know, and because that's what I needed in that time. I didn't need somebody crying and hugging me and sobbing. I needed yeah. somebody to, you know, kick my butt and go, hey, get over there and do your job. And so that was very actually powerful for me. So I did 10 months in Iraq, and this was right after my sophomore year of baseball. I get deployed right in the middle of the summer. So I'm like, I thought I was going to finish my final two years of baseball and make it through this enlistment without deploying, you know? And I end up deploying to Iraq in, you know, 2009, and I spend 10 months over there. And, And, you know, there were a lot of lessons learned on the ground in Iraq. That deployment was not that rough. It was actually a pretty relatively easy for the time period. Um, But, you know, there were still some hard experiences. But getting to come back, I realized, was a privilege because so many men stepped in those uh, boot prints and didn't make it back. And, you know, I really realized that when I was in Kuwait and they're playing taps as the flag, you know, as, as, as you're staring out at the flag and you're hearing taps and you're realizing so many men stood in my footprints and never made it back. And that was a really powerful cathartic moment for me where I realized like, this is a privilege to serve this nation. Um, I had so many World War II guys that I've interviewed since who've said to me, I say, what do you say to somebody when they thank you for your service? And they say, I'm privileged that I got to serve. And I'm like, that's wow. Just, They're like totally that's like, like a- <laughs> very profound it like reshapes your mindset yeah. and so it, it does I come back, so i come back from iraq and i get out of the military and um after i leave the military i enrolled into a master's program after i get my bachelor's degree in digital media and i'm about halfway through this emerging media and communications program where i'm going to be chained to a desk as a social media manager at some company and i just i am very fearful of becoming the thing that i've hated which sitting at a desk from nine to five is like the scary you could never you could never survive you like that you would never survive i'm sorry 
there for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I actually decided to, in the middle of my master's degree, decided to pick up photography. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, cool. cool. Feels yeah, right. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of my master's degree. I pick up photography and all of a sudden I'm thrust into these master's level courses where I'm just trying not to burn the studio down. Right. Like I'm learning <laughs> like everybody else has been shooting for like Rolling Stone and Vogue and doing incredible shoots. And they're just trying to. Grow I love your face. Vogue. Vogue. Rolling Stones. Like Vogue. Yeah. It just got scrunchier the fashionier I got. <laughs> I did not shoot for those brands. These other people shot for these brands, and I'm having to learn photography at the moment. And so I'm not. I'm trying not to burn down the studio. And uh, but at the same time, I'm learning very quickly. I'm picking up on a lot of things. And this professor of mine, who had been a protester during the Vietnam War, who had actually led protests, she wow. pulls me aside. I know, total hippie, had nothing to do with military. <laughs> total hippie. Totally hippie. And she, she just, she pulled me into her office one day and she said, Tim, I want to tell you, I feel so badly about how I treated the men coming back from Vietnam. And I just want to say that I really think you should do something in storytelling for your capstone project on veterans. And I was like, wow, I, I felt but but Kelsey, you know how it is with art. Like I felt pigeonholed. I didn't want to be known yeah. for being a veteran artist because I covered veterans. I just wanted to be great at my craft for being yeah. great at my craft. I didn't want to cover veterans just to cover veterans because I wasn't good enough to cover anything else. Uh, so I kind of I I felt a little hurt by that. But what's weird is she was really giving me the gift of a niche, uh, which is huge in photography. What is it that you didn't, what is it, what aspect of it, sorry, rather, is it that you didn't want to cover veterans? Was it that you felt like you would, like you said, you'd be pigeonholed into that and sticking in with that? Or did you feel like you said, was part of you like, I, this is what I can do because I don't feel confident enough in my abilities yet to do civilian stories or journalism or, you know, any of that? Was it, yeah, it was just it. It was like I was being told that I had to fit into a certain niche, and I wasn't good enough okay. to cover anybody else. Like I had to just cover this niche, and because that was the only community that I knew. You know how it is when you're told you have to yeah. do yeah. one thing. Yeah. It's like okay, I'm so I'm not talented enough to do anything else. And also, I was a little bit mm -hmm. afraid of being thrust into that guns, cigars, and whiskey category. You know that I saw these oh, okay. new things that were coming out in the veteran community. I really did not want to be you know, selling a t-shirt two years into my career, like begging for success, you know, like I, uh, I, yeah. I really didn't want that. And plus I didn't really know my community that well. When I got out, I just wanted to be a nasty civilian. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Just let me be dirty and gross and grow a beard whenever I want, shower whenever I want and be able to get away with whatever I want and not get charged by a civilian court and a military court. Kick my ass in one, not in two. Yeah, exactly. So, so for me, it was like I didn't want to just subscribe to that. But what's funny is those first four projects that I did 
were so profoundly powerful where I'm telling stories about guys who were born, burned over 60% of their body faced with life-changing injuries. And I'm really rediscovering my community and realizing how much I love these men and women, how much care and empathy I have for these humans. So for me, that pressure, that, that task of being pushed into a niche actually formed my real heart for this community. And it's really what gave me the zest for this, the fervor, that fire I have in my belly now, where I feel like I have to do it nonstop. And I feel like I have to be on the road. And any time that I'm not on the road, I feel like it's a waste of time. And really where I'm growing actually at home, it's actually a good thing to take those times That's off. That's right. But I feel like forever, I just want to drive that car until the wheels are falling off and my shutter is falling out of my camp camera and my clothes are you know torn off my body and I'm only able to do take that one last photo and then all right lower me into the grave I'm good to go yeah <laughs> You know what I could have, you know, in a different life or in another life, I feel like, or even in this one, you should have been a combat photographer. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have been a soldier. Don't get me wrong. But the way that you take photos of uh, your, the, the people you do stories on, I don't know if anybody out there has, uh, if they're watching this on YouTube, you might not uh, see. But if you go and check out uh, the Veteran Project podcast with uh, Tim K, you can see the logo on his hat here if you're watching the YouTube channel. If not, it's a lovely, massive V. Um, it's an incredible podcast, but if you take a look, there it is. We'll slap it up on the, uh, on the page when we're chatting about the podcast, but take a look because the photography is insane. The way you capture people, no, but seriously, you capture their emotion and you capture, you capture their pain in that moment when they're telling you that story, that feeling, that, that, that everything that they went through at that time in their life that they're talking about, they're there. They're having a full-blown flashback and you're catching it in real time. I feel like had you had been a combat photographer, you'd be right. You'd be doing photography for Nat Geo or something ridic ridiculous by now because the stuff that you've been able to do with just a regular person living their life and making it look like this documentation that something you would see on HBO or something you would see on Netflix because you, 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 you capture exactly, exactly what people need to see when they're having that discussion with a veteran and maybe not be able to have that discussion with a veteran ever. But when you look at those photos, they capture that person's emotion in such an intense way. So I think a combat, I mean, I would be interested to see what kind of photos you came up with for that because that would have been intense. I mean, that would have been great for you, I think. Can I, can I tell you that I'm, can I tell you that I'm glad that I wasn't and I can give you a reason? Yeah, yeah tell me why. I learned photography as I went. What a beautiful gift to be given to not know my art form as I was learning the men and women around me. Like nobody else would say that, Tim. Nobody else is going to have that comment. They're going to be like, yeah, I wish I was a combat photographer because it would have been super duper cool and everybody would love me. But no, you came out with, I just, how great was it to practice and learn my craft as I went? Like that's so friggin' humbling. Like my God, Tim. Mm, well, I didn't I didn't open a camera manual. You know, I was learning my settings as I went. I was learning as I was photographing. So my growth was all formed around learning this community. So it was really a wonderful gift to be given to not have any predispositions or ideas about what photography was. 
before mm-hmm. I was meeting these people. I think sometimes when you're fresh and you're new to the game, that's when your best ideas come. Like, yes, there's yeah. something to be said about wisdom and experience, but I think within the art world, when you're learning as you go, it's really a profound experience. I've developed all of my ideas around the veteran community as I was learning. And at the same time, I'm shooting weddings and I'm photographing. <laughs> I'm shooting weddings and bar mitzvahs on the side. But the, but the shooting the weddings and the engagement sessions really taught me the ability to capture emotion because you have to be able to do that in order to make money in that world. So for me, yeah, I, or. I or you're just a super shitty wedding photographer and you get only the awkward shots. Like, the, can you imagine if you were a wedding photographer and the only thing you were good at is actually getting like the shots after the, the good moments. So like they finish their first kiss and it's like, it was, you get like the, that's all they're known for. They can't, for whatever reason, they can't time anything for their life, but that would work. But I bet you that would work though. Because if you were known for that, like, Right? We can make a ton of money doing that, actually. People oh. just hire you because that would be like the coolest Instagram ever. That person would probably have like 500,000 followers on Instagram. Right. I know. It's a brilliant idea. I just gave you a new job. That's a good I idea. I just gave That's you a new job, guys. Look at Coleman. Get to step in. Just all the awkward shots it'll be it'll be perfect tim we'll get super awkward shots of both of us and that's how we'll always do our podcast interview highlights just uh, shots of people and say interview today with and then it'll just be you just with some ridiculous face sorry tim not want to come on your podcast (laughs) listen i don't care if they want to they should have to why because i'm like one of the only Canadians doing it, and I fill the void. And I feel like from a Canadian veteran standpoint, I might be prettier than most of the men. That's all I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the French though, right? <laughs> High five. <laughs> okay, keep it going, keep it going. Tell me some more, tell me some more. Oh, I said photography, tell me. So tell me more about learning that craft and and. and you know, really taking it from where you were able to learn how to shoot a veteran before being told how to shoot a veteran. Tell me about that process. Yeah, I mean, it's really just life and learning, right? You're just, you're spending time around these individuals and you're trying to show the moments. Sometimes that's photographing the moment when they're crying and sometimes it's just waiting for that beat in the middle of them, you know, crying and and knowing that it's not time to take that photograph, knowing you got to be emotionally sensitive to the moment, not just thinking that every moment of tears is impactful, but realizing sometimes the most powerful picture is on the other side of those tears. So just taking each experience Experience and realizing the power in that. I, you know, I covered a veteran named Alfred Hawes who was 101 years old uh, who'd been in the Bataan Death March. And uh, that was actually the project that got me into Sundance. Um, but when I, as I was photographing... Let's him, take a second for that. Let's just take... <laughs> give me yourself you, a hand clap for the Sundance, Sundance reference. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You'd be, you be freaking proud of that Sundance reference and I'm going to just take a second for it because you should. That's impressive as hell. Don't tell me it's not. Don't play like that. Impressive. I'm I'm pretty impressive, Tim. I don't know if you have recently seen, but I'm pretty impressive. (laughs) I'm pretty cool. Um, But 
yeah, like getting to cover Alfred was absolutely a privilege. So I'm driving across these plains of eastern New Mexico to get out to this story where this guy lives in a decrepit old nursing home across from his old house. And he's literally, the paint is like peeling off on the inside of this nursing home. And I'm meeting a legend. It's crazy. I'm sitting in the parking lot before I go in and I'm thinking, I am the most fortunate human on the planet right now that I get to tell this man's story because really his story had not been told before. I mean, you're talking about 1,181 days in a death camp, spending three days marching to this death camp, having a revolver stuck in his gut, and then being one round in the chamber and the Japanese officer pulling the trigger three times and then laughing and saying, I guess you're lucky enough to live. And then him going to this camp and his brother being with him in the camp and his brother starves to death two weeks in to the experience. His brother dies in his arms and he's forced to bury his brother's body while the Japanese officers are laughing at him and poking him with bamboo rods. And, uh, and uh, the torture every day being tortured until you know his emaciated body, which in a sense looks like a corpse when he comes back home. He weighs 96 pounds and his mom faints at the door when she sees him because she doesn't even recognize her son who's been gone for three years. I mean, she had pretty much left him for dead. And then in the midst of this camp service, the bomb over Nagasaki goes off. The aftershock, oh, for Christ the aftershock blows him into a trench, blows him into a trench, and his arm breaks in 26 places. And a doctor saws his arm off at the shoulder. First of all, he ties his own tourniquet with a belt he has, and he stays alive for the next six hours. And then by the time they get to him, they saw his arm off at the shoulder with a rusty saw blade, no anesthetic, no nothing. For, for, for what reason did they, why did they cut it off? It was broken. It was broken in 26 places. Uh, they realized- yeah, I guess back then. Yeah, there was just too much damage. Uh, at that point, they thought, well, he's probably going to die, but we'll just go ahead and cut it off right here. So that as they saw- Let's put him through some more pain while he has time. Yeah, I mean, and so he comes back to the States and then he goes on to be a one-armed wildland firefighter. I mean- just couldn't it just like hung out and been like a normal person after that like ah, i've done my time i'm good i've survived hell literal hell physically being torn apart by another country with a rusty saw and then you're like let me just hold on i haven't put myself in danger enough let me just start fighting fires oh kicker one arm the fuck oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, has uh, had zero Instagram oh. followers. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> Did you say zero? zero? Instagram followers, yeah. <laughs> that he's literally one of the coolest Instagram. coolest human beings, by far badass most human beings on, the, on this entire face of this planet or will ever probably exist because we cannot have warfare like we used to have. So they're not creating these type of soldiers or these type of survivors anymore. These people are next level. That's, you're never going to find these again. Well, as I'm standing on that stage at Sundance, so there was this very powerful moment where I was standing on the stage at Sundance and I was about to give this speech about what the Veterans Project was. And I said, I want you to, I want this audience, I want you to turn around and look at this image on the wall. And it was a portrait that I'd hung up of Alfred's face. And I said, I want you to look on that wall and realize that this man could not have cared less about this room. 
He cares about none of this. He cares about none of this charade, none of this audience. He doesn't care about the movies, the highlights, the reels. He just wanted to come home and have a chance at his freedom, and that's all he cared about. He ca- All he cared about was going back to farming and living in that sleepy town of Logan, New Mexico. I mean, less than one stoplight in that town. Literally, you just find a falling apart old gas station and, and really just, you know, old cornfields, silos, and, and nothing else. And the amazing thing is I'm standing on the stage, and I feel the ironic – I feel that ironic feeling of I'm in lights – and there's the glitz and the glamour of the evening and the cocktail waitresses walking around. And I'm thinking to myself, Alfred would have wanted none of this. None of it. None of the attention. Of any of it. No, none of it. And then, you know, his story went viral to the point where it got like 25 million views or something like that. The project. I mean, it was, I got to speak about it on Fox and CNN. And, you know, so, so there were all these wow. opportunities to speak about him. But he wouldn't have cared about any of that. And so I would send the stories to his daughter, Delois, who is an incredible yeah. human being, still actually lives in that town. Um, I would have sent the story to her and I'd say, hey, look at this link on CNN or look at this link on Fox. And she'd be like, oh, that's great, Tim. How's your sto- how's your project thing going, honey? And I'd be like. <laughs> You're like, you don't really understand or fathom the idea of what I just sent you and how large this has gotten, how difficult that is to do. And the thing that I find most ironic about it is the the man that you interviewed who would want the least amount of attention who would want the least amount of recognition is the one who put you on the map in such a beautiful beautiful way for something that was not only um his way of leaving a legacy but it gave you a voice and it showed the rest of the world that these stories are important, incredibly, incredibly important. And you're able to do that because he put, gave you that platform by giving you that opportunity. Ironic, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so weird how that works out. It's, it's, I think that's what I, you and I, you know, I'd said when we first met, it's like you and I met over a fluke because how did, how did, how did we get in contact again? It was like, we knew we had a mutual friend we contacted each other and I was like, yo, I'm going to be in Texas. You're like, do you want to come down? I'm like, I would love to come down. And within like a week, I was down in Texas with you. And so I truly believe timing is everything. And and I mean that from from the morning you wake up to the, the minute you go to bed and all through the night, timing is everything. If you If you live your life for others, you live your life to better others' lives and to do the best you can and always come at it from a positive standpoint and a and a knowing and a knowingness of of understanding it's okay to struggle but as long as on the days that you can you you go forward with with positivity and 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 try your best to to bring that to the world things will always work out for you and that's why i truly believe you meeting him he may have hated it he may never have wanted it but um he gave you that opportunity and sh- you have sure as hell run with it. So I'm sure he'd be happy to know what you've been able to do with that story. Well, the wildest thing of all is when I was standing on that stage, he was already dead and gone. Um, yeah. I was yeah. standing on that stage a month later and he had died like three weeks after I covered him. So I was standing wow. on the stage and he was gone. And um, it, it was just, it left this very empty, hollow feeling inside. But at the same time, I was able to share his legacy. And that was such a powerful thing for me. And, you know, it made me think 
how ironic and how strange is it and how pure of an art form it is that you get to go out and you get to tell these stories and when you really don't care the most about what your following is doing or what people are liking or if people love what you do is when you grow the most. Mm -hmm. And that was such a powerful experience for me. I wasn't caring. I didn't care about how people responded to the story. I didn't care how people read it. I just said, hey, here it is. I'm going to let you do what you want with it. And this is all that matters. This guy has zero followers, has no Facebook, doesn't care about social media whatsoever. And yet that has been the single biggest grower. That, that grew my project uh, 10 times over covering Tim Kennedy or Rudy Reyes or anybody like yeah. that. It, it, it grew my project profoundly and, and because my, my heart and my desire for the story was pure. And I don't always have that. I'm not perfect. I think there are times where okay, I probably though. look at somebody's social media following and I go, oh, 150,000 followers, this will be good for the project or, you know, a million followers, you know, oh, look. I can get that, though. You're trying to do something, you, but that's the thing people have to realize and understand, too, at the same time is you, yes, you are trying to, you don't give a shit about that. Yes, you, you're trying to tell the stories and do those things. But at some point, if you want to monetize this thing to be able to continue to do those and not not be the person who, you know, has to always count on donations, but the, the person who people want to partner with to make some real change and do some positive, positive um, impact, positive, positive impacting in the world. I think that is where they'll, they'll gravitate towards you. I don't know that you need to be a traditional media outlet anymore or a traditional social media person to have an impact on this world. I think that's a falsehood that we feed ourselves that if you don't get enough likes or you don't get enough um, of a following on your social, then you're not worthy of someone's time. And I think I think that's where we fall short as a society now um, in, in that sense, ever since social media has become this, this uprising in our communities and in our life. And especially when you look at it within the veteran community, because it is realistically it's big, but it's not that big. It's it's similar to what I would consider, you know, not even hockey fans. I mean, let's go as far as going like ring at if people were into ringette all over the world and there was just little pockets of people that loved ringette because you know like the, you, the, you take the ring you put the stick you do the swirly thing and you shoot it in the net it's until you just mentioned it right now so <laughs> did yeah did that blow your mind though because ringette never gets used as a reference so i'm really kind of came up with that but really it's like you know it's like a version of hockey but not a version of hockey my point is if you took tiny little pockets and put them all over the world there's not very many of us. There are, but in terms of combat vets who have done real combat, um, and I consider real combat uh, to be bullets coming within five feet of your face, um, <clears throat> me that be men or women, whomever, I feel like what I'm getting at is there's, there's a small group of us, and when you are on social media and you see certain veterans becoming incredibly successful for their stories and others not, you can't help but wonder why can't I work with or why can't I? But then you have to step back and realize for a second, you as a person started a, started something for a reason. And always remembering to go back to that reason and staying true to that reason is the reason why you will always be more successful than, you know, a, uh, a blip on social media or a person who gets a, a quick like, 100,000, 200,000 followers, and then people drop off. It, I think when you show your authenticity, I think you show your truth. I think you show your, your belief in God, especially for you in particular. I think when you show what you are doing it for, people will always flock to that. And I think, yeah, of course, there's good times to work with people who have more of a following. Of course, there's, it's advantageous. In the time we live, 
you get paid money for the more followers you have. That's just it. And also, you get the opposite too, right? So people won't acknowledge your DMs. People won't answer your emails if you don't have enough following. For example, my brand has 21,000 followers. But unfortunately, in the fashion world, that's nothing. So, you know, I might as well have 100 followers. And so people, stores won't carry you. Retailers won't pick you up. Social media influencers won't talk to you because you're not either paying them a large sum of money because they've made that their job or you're not you're not famous enough on social media. And so, you know, like I said, I think there's a way to use social media and I think there's a way to, um, you know, discuss it with our community as hopefully being less of a eat each other kind of world and maybe not always following, maybe not always following, you know, going and working with someone because of, you know, their following and maybe those people who have those following realizing that, you know, they don't necessarily, some will argue that they they don't have a responsibility. And I, I would argue you do. Here's why. If you are a special forces person and you've got millions of followers, that means millions of people are following exactly what you do for a reason. And yeah. I think you have a responsibility to be conscious of not what you say, but how you portray the world. And I think if you're always talking about hurting others or um, negative mental health or, you know, drinking your face off and like smashing beer cans on your head and you're, you know, just doing some shady stuff that you shouldn't be doing and you've got millions of people following you and they follow you because you're a badass. It's like you don't need to put that out in the world. You know, I feel... Social media, people do it because they want to, but I also think there's a responsibility when you're at a certain level. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I also think it's funny because I look at the people all in my circle and some of the most effective communicators and business people in the world that are really looked up to within the special operations community have some of the least amount of followers, honestly. Like some of my people in my inner circle that are far more effective in their jobs and making more money even don't even have massive followings. And then they'll say, someone will say to you, oh my gosh, you know so-and-so? And it's like, yeah, it's one of my best friends. And it's like, yeah. you look at their Instagram following and they may not even be indicative of that. So there is the business side of what you're doing. And I do have to pay yeah. attention to some of that. But at the end of the day, people are not coming to be a part of the Veterans Project for the amount of followers they have or how many website hits. We do get a lot of website hits, but they're not looking at the website hits. They're not looking at the Instagram. They're not looking at the, you know, however many subscribers I have on the podcast. They're looking at the real artistry of the work and the fact that we're building a long-term platform where this is Smithsonian-level work. I mean, we've got the Smithsonian following the project. They're paying attention. I know. You're a big deal, Tim. I told you. We have a chance to build something long-standing and I think that people can see that work and realize that that long term is way more worth half a million or a million followers on the term because look at the end of the day Instagram could crash it could go down and then what are you left with you got to build the website you got to care about your podcast you got to care about the other brands what you're doing so business is important and I feel you on that side and I definitely see that side of things Uh, for us the reason that people are part of this project and the power of this work is really the indication that this is going to be a long-standing platform where their legacies will always be available uh, to the Mm -hmm. public And as a marketing tool, it's great because you get solid, incredible photos. Uh, You're able to repurpose those questions and those answers for your marketing material. 
And that's really where the sponsorships come down. When we get sponsored by a group like Sornex, when they sponsored a project, they were looking for long-term. Yeah, Bert Sorn is an extremely patriotic, uh, flag-loving American man. Who is that the gentleman that you just did the podcast with, the bison? Is that, is that, is that the guy? That's Bert Koontz. Okay, Bert Koontz. Yeah, I just listened to that one. That was a really good podcast, and I had no idea I was so interested in bison stuff. <laughs> yeah, Bert is a Bert what? guy. Uh, Bert Soren is actually the the owner of Sornex, and we did a podcast with him too. Okay. Actually, we're just out there. That's probably why I got them confused because I've listened to them all. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, yes, Bert. Bert is uh, Bert is not a veteran, uh, but he is a very patriotic American who has helped a lot of you know, professional teams. He's built out most of the professional teams, gyms, um, and he just loves this country. And he, they sponsored Brady Cervantes's project, uh, Tatonka. And, uh, so, so we had them as a sponsor. They care deeply about the project. They care about the depth of the art. They care about the content that we're putting out. So getting those sponsors is an indicator for him. When I come to Bert and I say, Hey, this is what we're asking for. He's like, cake, dude. Dude, I love you. Like, let's do it. You know, it was not even a second question for him. He knew exactly that they wanted to sponsor that. So it, it's really those who will care will care, and those who will not, if they're just going to care about it for the life. This is from us. I don't know about jewelry. I yeah. don't know about fashion. Know about no, rock. no, hit me with it. If they don't care about the work and the level of the art that you're coming with, then they're probably not going to care in the long term. And you don't want somebody who's going to be a part of your brand just for the amount of followers you have. Because at the end of the day, that person's going to cut and run as soon as the first time. Oh, oh yeah. So, and that's you know, what happens. People that are invested in your work. And, uh, and, and that's really who we want sponsoring the project. There have been times people have come up, uh, you know, sponsors have come up where somebody said, dude, this will be a sure shot. They'll for sure want, they just want to see some numbers. They want to talk to you. And I get off the phone with them and I feel uncomfortable in my heart of hearts. And I go, nah, that's not the right option, dude. My buddy's like, bro, that's a, that's, that's a good amount of money that they're offering us. And I'm like, I don't want to be entangled with that group, man. Like, I just don't feel good about it. So it's also being able to turn down the opportunities. I think every interview works both ways, right? Every Absolutely. Interview, you should be considering not, not going in like, gosh, I hope they give me this money. I hope they sponsor us. Own your work. Know the value of your exactly. work. Don't go yeah, into yes. that meeting and go, you know what? I'm interviewing them too. Now, I consider it a privilege to know Bert Soren and a great company like that. But also, I'm thinking to myself, is this what we want? And they have this principle of be legendary that I absolutely love. And it ties into the legacy side of what we do. So obviously that's a group that I want as a sponsor, but not every sponsor is right for this project. And that's okay. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. That's fine. Oh. oh, trust me. You don't even have to tell me about not everybody's cup of tea. Are you kidding? I'm like the definition of like the last cup of tea that seems to be wanted. I, I know about tea. I am a tea junkie. It's a problem. But listen, I think um, I think you're right. I think when you talk about uh, the monetization and the business side of it, that's a different thing all on its own. And everybody has to understand that. And, and um, the people that don't aren't the ones that are trying to create something from nothing as an artist or as a podcaster or as a business or whatever and they might not be necessarily thinking it from the same standpoint and I and like I respect that but at the end of the day you guys have to do what what works for 
the veterans project and you guys have to do what's going to be successful for you guys and I know personally like we wanted to sponsor you we didn't have it at the time and so when we have it we will because at the end of the day when you send us a pitch deck and you say this is what it is I'm not going to come to you and be like that's too expensive because I know your worth I know the worth of your work and I know how hard you work and and there's nothing wrong with going to a client in my opinion and saying this is what I'm worth this is what I do and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm sorry if that isn't in your budget right now, but I know what I can do. <clears throat> I know what I can produce. I know what I'm able to, you know, work with. And I know my value. And I think that's one of the biggest thing is knowing your value as a person, as a company, as a community member. And I try to do my best when I have situations where someone's like, you know, I'd like to do this with you. I go, okay, well, I'll do it. I'll do it for free for whatever. Just let me know what I can do. If I know it's going to benefit the community in some way, shape or form, I'm down, you know, yeah. but I, I do also understand the people that use it as a job and, uh, you know, and like you said, not every partnership is right. Not every uh, offer is going to be good for you, whether it's $10,000 or a million dollars, you have to weigh what you want to be attached to. And in this day and age, one wrong move, one wrong placement, one wrong partnership, and it could go up in flames. Yeah, it can sink your ship. Absolutely. That's huge. You know, I've got a I've got a very close friend of mine uh, named Micah Fink, who is the founder of Heroes and Horses. And uh, we just did a project oh, on Micah out in Montana. And uh, gee, he's just a beautiful, wonderful person. Uh, you know, he's in the Navy SEALs, uh, spent 12 years with them. And then, you know, now he's gone on to start this incredibly impactful group called Heroes and Horses. And they were one of the first veteran nonprofits that I learned about when I started the Veterans Project. So I'd seen their Yeti 180 out video. Yeti did an incredible video on them. Yep. And so I knew what Micah Pink was all about. And I was like, one day I want to cover that guy. That's going to be a guy that I'm really going to get to know. And what's funny is we just, me and uh, my buddy, Jesse Phillips, who you know, we actually went out to Montana and I did a project on him. Jesse wanted to go so badly because he loves their mission. He thinks it's great. And he begged me to be a part. He said, Tim, please, please, hey, take, please, me. Tim, <laughs> please take me. Please, Tim, please take me. Take me to all of these children for two minutes. Take me to, I, I to love, the show. I tease Jesse, but he was a welcome addition, and we had a great time. But as I'm photographing these guys, you know, Micah had this very profound statement to me about art. And he said, you know, Tim, I love your stuff because it's very unique. You have your own flavor. And he said... Yeah. You know, I said he said, so so who are your motivational guys? Like who do you go to and who do you look to as your inspirations in your work? And I said, mm, not really anyone, man. And he was like <laughs> myself in the mirror. And 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 I wasn't saying that to be cocky, but I really don't yeah. want anyone else to dilute my own idea of the work, right? I don't wanna become I don't wanna become everybody else's work. I want my work to be indicative of what I'm doing. And he said something to me really profound. He looked down at the ground and he said and kinda shuffled his boots and he said, uh, he grabbed his belt buckle and he said, you know, we're all just amalgamation of our motivational speeches and our self help books, aren't we? And I was like, oh, my gosh. He was saying, that, like, was... our identities are becoming everyone else's identities. He's like, everybody reads all these self-help books, and then they wonder why they're confused about their own identity. Because you're reading varying opinions about your work, about your life, about who you need to be. Instead, you need to develop that within. Look in the mirror. See that reflection. Know that you have that within or you don't. And develop that from within and then push out. And it's okay to take on wise counsel. 
But when your counsel becomes every part of your work, your identity gets lost. And then that's really where your work gets diluted. So he was saying something very profoundly in a moment that I had been thinking for the past six years, you know. And he, it sounds like he uh, was able to really compress it into something that not only resonated with you, but it also, mm -hmm. it, it was all encompassing. Do you know what I mean? That, that thought that you've had, because you and I have had that discussion where we, we you know, we, you and I, view, we view a lot of things very similarly um, in the way that you think. And it's funny because uh, that is like the best way I've ever heard it described uh -huh. ever. Like it, the simplicity yeah. of it, but also just the like quick to the point we're all just the sum of our self-help books. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. Exactly. That's, exactly. There's something yeah. about that that just like, it just makes you stop and think and it just kind of slaps you in the face there for a second and goes, it's true. We are all, we're all reading the same books to become the same person to, to hopefully better whatever version we are of ourselves but unfortunately a lot of those take on aspects of others and you wonder why you see people you know dress the same act the same walk the same talk the same follow the same vote the same do all yeah. that the same um yeah it's what it's what you're exposed to it's what you're exposed to for sure yes. absolutely um, and yeah. instead of taking that really unique uh aspect of yourself and letting that bleed over into your art like what you do it's very different right your work is different and your work shows your heart and your experiences and the things that you've gone through with brass and unity and your jewelry and your design it shows through in the purity of your heart and the movement in which you're enacting that but it could so easily become diluted by reading so many self-help books and motivational speeches mm -hmm. and all that like all of that gets confused at a certain point and i really think at the end of the day you're really responsible for your own success or failure right and not one of those Absolutely. people that's speaking to the you know wall street journal or a tedx talk or whatever is going to be responsible for your success you're responsible for your success at the end of the day nobody's handing me five ten thousand dollars and saying yeah. well tim i really like your stuff it reminds me of so and so no <laughs> what impression no back Back up. What impression was that? <laughs> I don't know. Was it an impression? <laughs> you changed your tone so quick when you went from, I love your stuff. I just, I love your jewelry. You, to you turned into a woman for two and a half seconds. That was... <laughs> Tim, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with your willingness to express yourself for the true form that you are. Glitter hands. Jazz hands and glitter hands. No, but it's true, right? You, you need to be, I think, as soon as you start clouding, you have too many people around you. And I think that's where you see people go off the rails. When the influence around them becomes more, um, they pay attention more to the people around them in the sense that's who they become. They don't know who they are enough to be able to kind of uh, push that out or say, hey, you know, that's an opinion of someone else. That's not how I truly feel about something. That's not how I truly see something. It's very, it's very like, I've read this book and I've read this book and I do this and this person and my therapist told me to do this and then I do yoga and I do this and I do, like it's, it's very self-helpy and there is a way to do it but you need to be able to be strong enough in your own convictions of who you are and take what is useful to you 
to you from those books rather than them being the the be all end all of how you should act and walk and talk do you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i think look we're we're trying to find the path right and we're trying to light that path but instead we get mixed up on all these little tendrils and we're going off one way and before we know it we don't even recognize the objective or the goal that we were trying to meet in the first place because we're so far off on gary v or brendan bichard or somebody like that which those people are wonderful in and of themselves you know Brene brown they're they're fine but it's like when you're taking every aspect of what that person thinks and then you're you know creating this amalgamation as micah said and then and making that who you are and your path, that's not you. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. you. Yeah. At the end of the day, Brene Brown is not responsible for your success. You are responsible yeah. for your success. And I take that heavily. I guess I'm a libertarian because I believe in individual responsibility. But I believe that we really need to, at the end of the day, own our stuff, look in the mirror and go, you know what? Today is up to me, and I really need yeah, to, yeah, obviously, really. with me as a Christian, I believe that a lot of that is, you know, the Lord puts me on this path, but at the same time, I still got to strike out and do it, you know, I still got to strike out and attack that goal and strive, so for me, I see a lot of people going to the right and the left and moving all these different ways, and I have so many friends, and I know influencers around me that are bringing up all these different ideas, but at the end of the day, it's like, hey, man, I just want to do my work and pursue the purity of my passion. And like I had somebody ask me the other day, Tim, what self-help podcast do you listen to? And and not to hate on them because they're a wonderful person, but I just said, nothing, man. I don't really listen to self-help podcasts. Like, that's not my thing. Like, I like comedy or I like um, cr- true crime. I like stuff like that. But I don't really listen to, like, self-help stuff because I really want to develop my own ideas of what this work needs to be. Who I am. And I don't mind Gary Vee. Like, I follow Gary Vee. I think he's very inspirational. Mm-hmm. But I don't take yeah. all his ideas and, like, employ every one of those ideas into what I do because my, my stuff is different, you know? And I don't want to become his idea of what I should be. I want to strive out for my own success. Well, and then, and so you should, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't. I mean, the, I think that's where the, the downfall of social media has really come in is it's being, it's forced feeding these kids and these teenagers and these young adolescents, this, you're, there's something wrong with you. You need all of this. Like people can motivate yeah. themselves. I mean, I'm not sure if you remember when you were younger and if you ever went in a situation, I mean, me in particular, um, where I, I felt very, it, it was on me. It was on me to fix my problems. It was on me to do what I needed to do to become the person I needed to be. And I didn't have uh, social media to follow. I didn't have an inspirational quote to, that came to my phone every day. I didn't have any sort of other reminder other than my mom kicking me in the ass saying, get up, we're going to Taekwondo. And, you know, or, or, or myself having to look myself in the mirror and give myself a good one of these and say, look, get your ass out of bed, get your shit into gear, get moving. You got stuff to do. You got things to, to do people to work and to work with and people to help. I mean, you have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror. And I think the people that aren't able to look themselves in the mirror and have that hard discussion with themselves say, who am I? What am I trying to accomplish? How am I going to accomplish it? And once I get there, how am I going to maintain myself, my mental health and my my own personality? How am I going to maintain that? Because you will once you start, like you said, you get these influential friends, you get these people around you, you get all these, well, you should try this, you should do this, you should da da da, you should invest in this, blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden you're taking on all these identities. You have no, like you said, you have no idea who you are. So I think before, 
before people jump into things like that, you really need to have a hard look in the mirror and have a conversation with yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's it's funny that now we have all these self-help books and motivational memes, but you know, you yourself said you had to stare yourself in the mirror back then, but yet we look at our World War II veterans and the suicide rate was probably the lowest it's ever been. I find that funny. Now we have all these motivational books. We have all these outside influencers. We have all these people that are speaking to us about our mental health, and yet our suicide rate is higher than it's ever been. And it's because, yeah. again because we've lost that identity. We've lost who we are, you know. And that's one thing that Michael was big in on speaking that heroes and horses. When they take these guys out on these wild mustangs, and the guy is like beaten on the mustang, not understanding why it won't turn the way that he needs it to go, he's realizing really quickly the problem is not the horse. The problem is you. The problem mm-hmm. is the realizes your issues. And is reflecting that back onto you. And so it's a lot of self-reflection. People, I think there's a lot of selfishness in this culture, and it's constantly thinking about self. But you know what brought me my greatest healing and greatest joy? These projects where I don't focus on myself at all, where I'm literally focused on the other side of that lens, on you or Micah or Andy or Nate or anyone like that, you know, focusing on the other side. That's brought me my greatest joy. Now, there is time you need to take in prayer or meditation, whatever you do throughout the day, your gym time to think about your direction and where you're going and if making sure that you're healthy. But at the same time, I think most of my greatest joys have come when I've shifted that focus off of myself and onto someone else and given back. That has truly brought me my greatest joys. So I find it interesting that we are having all these talks about self-help and we have all these books by Brene Brown and all that, and yet the suicide problem is getting worse, not better. better. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think when you look at the suicide crisis, um, yes, there is, I'm sure there, well, I know there's a link. It's been shown on the recent documentary with, um, with Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's been shown that social media is a massive, a massive uh, indicator of, of what's happening and what you're seeing, the suicide rate and the early adolescent, adolescent mental health issues are spiking at the same time. You're seeing them on repeat, kind of go zero to 60 all of a sudden. And you see that happen right when social media becomes an, you know, a tool essentially for these, these young girls and boys and kids to uh, berate themselves and bully themselves and and talk about themselves and make them want to change themselves because of the influencers that they've been feeding off of and these self-help things that they've been feeding off of. And look, I'm not saying self-help books and things like that aren't useful because there are, but it's, it's, it's very much what I would say to somebody who's not religious, to somebody who's religious. It's not all going to work for you. It's not all meant verbatim for you, but you can take what you need and, and leave the rest. Nobody says you need to take everything from it. But there is something to be said about being able to read something, see it for what it is. If there is something positive in it that resonates with you, taking that and implementing that into your life, not implementing who that book is to be you now. Right. But also like implementing that and realizing that there is no such thing as instantaneous satisfaction, right? Because we live in a culture of instantaneous satisfaction. And 
constantly uh, throwing out what's broken instead of trying to fix it, right? And I think that has really shown itself in these numbers that we see with suicide in that, oh my gosh, I thought when I imparted that part of Brene Brown's philosophy and teaching into my life, I thought instantaneously everything would just get better and there would be halos on everybody and there would be rainbows yeah. and butterflies and all that. Like, and, why isn't this working? Like, adversity is actually one of the best things for your life and like having to work to get there is actually the best part of the process you know i had heard a speech the other day it was actually matthew mcconaughey we're going to talk about matthew mcconaughey every podcast we do together matthew mcconaughey's in it eventually eventually one day one of us will will become enough to be on his radar that Maybe at that time we can have them on one of the podcasts and then we can both do it so we can do our Matthew McConaughey dance impression in front of him. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so Matthew was on a Gary Vee podcast and he was talking about uh, about everybody wants the trophies, right? And then you see like at the end of the day, uh, Elvis Presley, Prince, you know, uh, any one of these, uh, Marilyn Monroe, they had all the trophies in the world. And at the end of the day, they were a 24 hour news cycle. So yeah. really like the process of getting there is the real gift, right? It's not getting the actual trophy. Cause at the end of the day, you grab the trophy, you get the million followers. You've and, got, now, and now what? And, and then what? And then what? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you think you're going to be happy? Listen, I had a sponsorship a couple of years ago that was, you know, worth close to $70,000. They were paying me on the monthly. And on the, the monthly? The day, at the end of the day, at the end of that month, when I got that check, I wasn't any happier doing the project than I when I was with ramen in my pantry and peanut butter and jelly in my stomach. You know, like I was not any happier doing the work with that money. Did I feel a little bit more safe in the work yes did it you know? well you yeah i mean it's a little safer and you have the money to pay the rent and you know put the ramen in the belly so i i get i get why people do what they do in terms of whatever they do for money because there is that 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 level of security you need obviously to live your life and to have that and if that's what you if that's what you're focusing on and that's what you're driving toward I get then if you're going for the million followers, well, then you would, you know, you would take that, you would monetize, you'd, you'd be doing some weight loss teas or you'd be doing some Black Rifle, you know, you knew, I, well, I'm not even going to lie. I totally asked Black Rifle to sponsor the podcast. They haven't answered, so I'm sure they won't. But here's the thing. But that's my point. It's like, that's what you're trying to do. Those type of people, companies and corporations, myself, totally, my, my brand, Brass and Unity, we use influencers. There's a reason they work. But... It does not mean that's what everybody wants. You can gain a following and, and not have it based on wanting to sell something. You can gain a following and just hopes to connect people together to better their lives, to make our community feel more inclusive, but also stop eating its own. Like it doesn't need to be yeah. that sort of way. So I think you can have a following but I think it takes a, a mentally strong person to not allow that to control their mood, their feeling, and how they react or control their business or, or company. Well, treating that as the goal of your entire happiness is just, there's no, fic there's no, 
there's no real attainable happiness from that. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people, the real depression sets in when they do reach one of those short-term or long-term goals, and then they get to it and they don't feel any happier because the happiness isn't coming from the pursuit of the passion. It's coming from getting to that mark. And then when you get that mark, that high is never high enough. And yeah. so realizing I'm still a human after I got there, I would thought I would have ascended to some godlike status when I got there. Why am I not already growing wings out my back and taking flight? Like, <laughs> I have a million followers on Instagram. <laughs> Isn't that what happens? I thought, I thought it was something along the lines like the Americans, like when you become an American soldier, you know, you get your kit, you get the shot in the ass, you do the American flag, and now you're Captain America, and you fly away. But I also thought that happened with influencers. You get a million followers, your boobs instantly get bigger, your face changes a little bit, you start selling uh, like a like a loss, like a weight loss tea that you know doesn't work and you don't really give a shit because you're making mad money on each post. Like I'm not like not to interrupt, but I saw David Letterman has done this incredible interview, um, uh, interview platform on Netflix where he did some recordings pre COVID and I'm totally going to bring it up here. Kim Kardashian interview, legit, real, real good interview. And I watched it and it was funny cause she goes, she goes, um, he said, you know, I, I just got a social media. So David Letterman just got an Instagram, which obviously he's older and that's hilarious. But he gets this Instagram, right? And he goes, him and Kim go down to a CVS and they sit down on the floor and they're taking pictures. Yeah, she sat down in CVS. So she, they're taking pictures and he goes, how do I post this? She's like, oh, so she airdrops in the photo. She does it, right? And then she goes, he goes, so how much would a post like that run me? And uh, he goes, I don't know. What's that post worth? Probably about like what? 500,000, 650, and she just goes. And I'm like, could you imagine? Could you imagine just for a second your posts being worth a million dollars to be able to fucking send on an iPhone? That's infuriating to me. And only because, can you imagine the good that could be done with 183 million followers who see every waking moment of your life if you're using that life for something positive yeah, yeah, yeah. we got to get you there tim <laughs> we got to get you there tim we need to get tim to a million followers we need to get me over 500 because i'm clearly by instagram standards a big loser but like tim says kelsey you need to learn to be in front of the camera and then everything will be fine but the only reason yes. i can do that now is coleman did he take those pictures of, you? pictures of you? Coleman took the pictures. Josh, I love you, but you didn't take the pictures. Coleman took the pictures. And that was the first moment I dressed like a girl in a long time where I actually got to not look horrible in the results of the photos. You know when you're like, oh, that photo, that, that, that felt good. That felt good. Then you see it and you're like, that didn't look good at all. He said, don't worry, I'll make you look good. Then he did. Oh, but that doesn't translate. Coleman, I've been telling Kelsey to do this for so long. Here we go. Finally steps in front of a lens, and you made her look beautiful, which she already is beautiful, and you just did a great job. job. Well, he's, I I appreciate it, and I love you for that. Um, But, you know, Coleman, Coleman's uh, slowly started to be around us long enough to know that if you're going to want to get any sort of decent photo of me, it's going to take a three-hour makeup session, a hair person to come in, a brand-new outfit, and um, 
very tall shoes. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying it take it, it that does not happen overnight. That takes a minute and takes a lot of effort. And I, 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 that's a lot. So I'm hoping that what'll happen is while this podcast comes pops in front of the iPhone and just takes a shot. Are you kidding me? That's like a 10. No, but who has time for that? And who has the energy for that? She got four kids. I got one and that's enough. I can't, I can't, I barely made it in on time today because we got up late. And I was like, great, this is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna go well today. I'm already late, got no makeup on. Let's just do this. Run into the bathroom, slap some of that stuff people call makeup I need to learn how to put on. And then I put a hat on. I was like, let's do this because I want people to know you don't always have to be a certain way in front of a camera. It's one thing to have photos like that and a badass person to be able to make you look like that. But it's also okay to put a hat on and a t-shirt and rock the shit out of something. You don't have to be always dressed head to toe, right? And I think that's the difference between these influencers and like regular people. And I think if we can make that a little more normalized for our everyday people, people won't be such afraid to post photos. They won't be such, you know, yes. I was one of that, those people who uh, I recently started posting photos like, uh, you know, on suggestions from everyone else around me. I finally started listening and, um, I caught myself almost instantaneously going to put a filter on a photo without even thinking about it. <laughs> but because immediately I'm going, yeah, I'm not going to compete with half this shit on this. Like, it's not going to get the traffic I need it to. Like, there's no way. Like, but so you just don't care. But then you start to see a following grow and then you feel this automatic obligation to be now the switched on person. And I just, I, I really don't want to be that person. I really want to. You know, as as I grow, as brand grows, as I grow as a person, I really want to stick to who I am. And I think part of that is interviewing people like you and uh, having people like you around uh, in my circle, in, in, in my group, you know, keeping me honest, keeping me on my toes, but keeping me grounded. And um, I think that's, you know, probably what you do for a lot of your uh, SF guys that are, you know, these big deals now is you... They've, they've reached a height of success and they've got people like you to surround them that keep them grounded. And that's that just goes to show that in a testament to the person you are, you know, you haven't let the attention, the fame, the the million follower friends, the the SF guys the you haven't let any of that change you um, from the time I've met you. You haven't let any of that affect you as a person in a negative way and I think that's incredible and it should be acknowledged because it's so easy to be manipulated by social media into trying to be someone else that we're not um I, I was talking to one of my friends and I said I I said you know to him and he's one of my teammates with the veterans project and I just said to him he it was somebody that had kind of like you know like it kind of wronged us in a certain way and they it kind of hurt our feelings or hurt my feelings in a way and yes my feelings do get hurt and i was Tim has feelings? To, <laughs> and i was talking to him and i said bro i he said just just never be that person and i thought to myself what a powerful profound way of putting that and i thought my greatest goal within this work is no matter how big this work gets is to always be the guy who's talking to the person who most consider least interesting in the room i want to be that guy no matter how big i get that's my one of my greatest goals is to be the most approachable guy in the room not to be the guy who's standing up there and you're like you're nervous about approaching I want to be approaching people and saying, hey, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Tim from the Veterans Project is talking to me and making me feel like a radio He's human. talking to me? Oh, my God, <laughs> Tim's such a big deal. I can't even believe he's talking to me. 
but he's but he's I, we're gonna so get to nice. that and i can't he wait. is what i think he is and he's you know how it is when you meet somebody yeah. who's really cool and then they turn out to actually be really cool that's i yeah. always want that feeling i always want people to feel that way when they ever somebody came to me the other day and said i was at a i was at a little pizza spot in san clemente and i was surrounded by a bunch of three five marines and these Marines were like talking to me and my buddy turned to me and uh, he, I'd known him long before the Veterans Project. And he turned to me and he was looking at me and smiling. And I turned and I was like, what are you smiling about, bro? He's like, dude, you're just you're just such a regular dude. And all these Marines really respect you for that. They've been following your project forever and they just respect the heck out of you. You're just here hanging out with us and acting like the least famous person in the room. And I said, well, I feel like I am the least famous person in the room. You're not. You're not. Um, You're not. But but I I did feel, I felt that. And and I was so glad that he said that. That was the greatest compliment he could pay me. And I hope, but then I think when your desire really is that, you become that. And you don't become too big for your britches, as my mom would say. You know, you you become, you don't become an amalgamation of everybody else's identities, right? You stay true to who you are and you stay a very lovely, approachable person. And I think that's your strong suit. And I think that's why you won't have any issues as you become this this big famous photographer. Um, you know, I think I think that's the one thing that keeps, you know, you're very humble. I don't foresee that changing. And I think to be completely honest with you, I think you've surrounded yourself with a solid, solid group of people who will keep you honest in that and keep you uh, grounded in that. And that in itself is is hard enough to find. It's an art form to, to you know, be out in public and then be able to turn that off when you're around the people you want to be around on a daily basis and, and be yourself. Or even just being yourself in public is hard enough to do, let alone having to, you know, be the face of something so I think if anything you it it comes across like you're the most approachable person because you really are it comes across that you're the most kind and gentle souled person that you are because you are and I think you never have to try um to to try to portray that because from an outside perspective that that comes naturally and then I and I I love that about the project. I love that about what you do. And I, I just, I truly love that about everything that you're trying to accomplish as a photographer, as you're a historian, as a journalist, but also as a veteran and keeping keeping our community honest and, and, and being, we've had discussions off camera about people in our community. And, and there's a reason why I think it's important to acknowledge the people that are doing the good work because there's so many others that are doing it for the wrong reasons. And I, it's not that they need to be called out but they'll figure it out on their own and we should be supporting those people that are doing it for the right reasons always no matter what but it's about making those people known to the community if they're not known right so i i'm i'm just um beyond grateful to have you here i'm beyond grateful for what you do for our community america uh, north america wide uh, for the world really because you do acknowledge nato and that was the biggest thing i think i said to you when we first met is you actually want me on your podcast. I'm Canadian, though. And you said, I've never had a Canadian vet on my podcast. Why not? And, and that to me, I will say to you, though, Tim, it meant a lot more than I think you realize. And, and the reason being is, you know what happened to me. Uh, you know how I was ripped away from my guys. You know that I lost that family aspect and that communication and that group and that, that you know, that camaraderie. You knew that. And um, you welcomed me with open arms. You were approachable. You got me up, put me up in a hotel. Like the Hilton were dope. They, they, they totally, you know, helped us out with that. And you guys really, you know, 
you did exactly what you're trying to do. You made me feel like my story was worth it. You made me feel like I wasn't a nobody in the military. I wasn't just another number, another body. You made me feel like I matter in this world in a way that I didn't know I was acknowledged by the veteran community. And uh, it changed the way I felt. I stopped feeling bitter. I stopped feeling like I, I didn't matter. Matter. Wow. Well, I didn't know I did all that, but I'm very grateful that I did. <laughs> you did, man. That's what I'm saying to you. All the stuff that you're striving. Yeah, I know. But the, all the stuff that you say you're striving to do, you know, as you grow and as you get bigger, you want to stay this approachable person. But that's what I'm telling you. Like, dude, you are already that. You don't have to change anything. You're already doing what you need to do in the right way. And it comes across. Seriously. I appreciate that. So much thanks. It means well, a lot. Like, lot. you know, I just hope that one day... Um, I can make an impact the way you do. I hope that one day I can give someone a platform the way you gave me. No, but seriously, Tim, I hope that one day that, um, you know, we can work on something special together. I know I really want to do yes. that project that we discussed before and I want to get that, you know, going when we can. I'm just grateful to have you on my show. I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'm grateful for the work you do. So I would just, I would love you to tell me about the people you support. I would love to tell them about any of the charities you want to talk about, um, any of the resources you need and how people can help. Yeah, so uh, for me, I mean, the biggest thing is really what we've got going on in our next week. I've got a new podcast that came out about six months ago, but we got another podcast coming out through Texas Public Radio and NPR. Uh, which will be, I, I can't, yeah, I can't say the okay. name of it yet because cool. the idea is still being formed, it, but it, it's powerful. So we got another podcast coming out. It's basically going to be the Veterans Project podcast. They're going to let me keep my original podcast, and then they're just, which is amazing, yeah. Uh, and they're going to just, now I've got my own team of producers and everything that's helping me out with this podcast. So we're breaking this down into a shorter segmented podcast. There's going to be a lot more B-roll. It's going to have a lot more of a serial feel to it uh, than my got podcast it. now, which is long form, uh, kind of like we're doing right now. It's going to be much more segmented and much more uh, in-depth in the person's life. So shorter, but a little bit more in-depth in some ways, and that will have more narration from me and kind of more of my perspective. Uh, so we're working on that that's a really big initiative and that that podcast will be kicking off around new year's god willing oh, wow. um, so we're working on that right now the first couple of episodes are being worked on um it's a massive it's a big production so we're, we're doing a lot uh that's huge obviously because with the npr one app we've got 52 million possible listeners so that audience is huge um wow. but then secondarily, really the biggest thing for me is our work with Heart Support right now and developing this mental health platform for veterans and the ability to lift up this community and create a veterans coalition surrounding mental health and actually create actionable processes that aren't just built upon awareness, right? Because we hear that word awareness again and again and again. So November 11th, we're having that big fundraiser to raise funds for this platform and to raise funds for the project. So potentially this fundraiser could take care of my whole year, you know, potentially. So we got a lot of great possibilities coming through this work with heart support. So for those of you that want to support uh, heart support, you know, you can send them an email at info at heartsupport.com and ask how you can help out with what we've got going on with this fundraiser coming up on November 11th. But really that's a huge, that, that's the most massive uh, project for us right now is just making sure that 
veterans are covered in that area of mental health and that we can have these very real discussions and you're going to have a select group of peers including Nate Boyer and Rudy Reyes and people that are going to be able to reach out to you and help you in those moments where you need that and the resources surrounding that so this is not just talk this is actually something we're going to do and I'm very excited about that so I'd love to keep the focus on that and uh, heart support Absolutely. is you know our new partner and we're very proud of them so this is huge to be able to and then we're interviewing the lead singers of a lot of these rock bands and having them on the veterans project to talk about how the veteran community has given back to them and how their mental health yeah. has been yeah. affected through their struggles with drugs and addictions and the various things that they face traumas they face so it's big to us we just had maddie mullins on who's the lead singer of memphis mayfire and he was phenomenal human being. He loves the veteran community. That you want to talk about a big following that cares. They have a massive following, and they were sharing his podcast across all their platforms, across the band's platforms. So it, it was really, really cool to see somebody who loves his community. And he said, "Man, I just." Like he's like, you know, he's a big Christian. He said, You guys have given me my ability to worship in a free country. So I'm thankful for you guys. Like, I'm able to stand on a stage and sing for a career because of you guys. So it's it's wonderful. This new partnership is just very special, and I'm excited about that, most of all. So, and for those of you that want to check out the Veterans Project, you can go to www.thevetsproject.com. V-E-T-S project.com and then all the social media, Instagram, the veterans project, you know, Facebook, the veterans project. And, uh, those are really our biggest platforms. Uh, so, and then obviously the podcast, which is the veterans project podcast. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll make sure that when we release it, we'll put up all those resources for you, Tim, so that everybody is connected to the heart support project, as well as the veteran project, as well as the caregiver project. Right. I think that's incredibly important. And, um, I think, uh, I think moving forward, you know, let us know what we can do, how I can help, how brass and unity can help and how we can move forward in a way, um, and finally start tackling mental health the way it should be within our community. And, um, yeah, really go from there. I think, uh, I just yeah. again, you're you're doing, you're doing the work, and uh, like I said, thank you so much. Oh, and I really appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know, Tim, I'll have you on. You're welcome on anytime. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm so happy to see it working out for you because you have put in the time, you have put in the hard work. You deserve all the success, and I know the success to you isn't meaning money, but I know the success to you is meaning the veteran stories being told. And I am so grateful that I got to be one of the veterans that uh, you told my story. And so, if anything, and that all that comes from our friendship was that opportunity. Thank you for making me feel like I was worthy of having a story told. And thank you for coming on uh, the Brass and Unity podcast, Tim. Uh, everybody, please, please do yourselves a favor and go check out the Veteran Project podcast. It is not something you will ever want to stop listening to you will feel motivation you will feel support you will feel love sadness all of the emotions in one but what you will leave feeling mostly is grateful for your life grateful for the opportunities you've been given and grateful for those that have served uh, our countries to be able to give us the freedoms we ha now have whether you like war now we are still full of veterans who are suffering from the wars that we have now spent the past 18 years and i think it's about time we start caring about those people that were so willing to go care for us um, and we need to start to paying a little more attention to the mental health of those so thank you again tim k from the veterans project podcast and uh, we will be sure to share all of this information and as many of those resources and sponsors as we can and uh 
Thank you again, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Kelsey. All right. And everybody, we'll check you out on the next Brass and Unity podcast. I'm Kelsey Sharon. We'll talk to you next week. So on this week's episode of the Brass in Unity podcast, we are featuring the Caregiver Project, and it is a nonprofit organization dedicated to ensuring Gold Star families are never forgotten. And this goes back to the gentleman we just had on the episode, Tim Kay, and his incredible work with the Veteran Project podcast, as well as the Veteran Project and his nonprofit, the Caregiver Project. So please do take a look at all of those websites if you are looking for resources and they cannot provide them, they will do their darnest to get them for you. So please please take a look at the Caregiver Project and the Veteran Project uh, podcast as well. And we will see you all uh, next week.